Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Joining Mr. Tom Suter and Pat Hardy from hawkfanatic.com, Coach Don Patterson's on the line. Good morning, Coach. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Uh, actually, I am uh, doing just great. Thank you. Um, I think most Hawk fans are kind of on cloud nine after a, a surprisingly semi-easy victory over a really strong Iowa State team and that uh, uh, I would say that Iowa State's defense was uh, outstanding and I thought uh, I, I thought the Hawkeyes played a pretty good game defensively I thought we played great what were some of your early thoughts well here's here's a unique way to think about um, what's been happening in recent years uh, now you're probably aware we snapped the ball an amazing 353 times against Iowa State without suffering a turnover. <laughs> 353 times. Or another way to look at it, the last time we turned the ball over, that was in the fourth quarter in 2015, uh, babies that were born that day are now going to elementary school. That's another way to think of it. So I it's like been it. a long time since we turned the ball over against them, and, of course, that's always going to be a key to victory is to be able to win turnovers. Well, and what excites it. me about these first two wins is that it validates what our coaches have been teaching and preaching to our players. And that's simply that our style of play is a winning formula for success. So that's been reinforced, and the players certainly now have realized these coaches really do know what they're talking about. And, of course, that just that just uh, feeds our opportunity to continue to win because – the players thoroughly understand what the coaches are trying to explain to them about the great game of football. Um, Don, I'm just curious. Um, is Tory Taylor the best punter since Reggie Roby? Uh, I was best. Yes. Punter. Yes. Uh, yes, I would think so. And what's encouraging to me, um, you know, last year, the only complaint I had, I was hoping that he would also learn how to be a conventional punter, which he is. And he's proven, of course, that he can do that. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, there's an argument, especially when you're punting into a pretty strong wind. If, if it's a rugby punt, if the ball's end over end, you end up with quite a bit of wind resistance, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and the beauty of, of being able to spin the ball off your foot, as Roby could do so well, mm -hmm. and as Tory can do well, is that it, it does a better job of boring through the wind. And we saw that on Saturday. Uh, just a wonderful demonstration of wow. punting and what it can do for you. And then when you factor in a good return specialist and returning their punts, every time we traded punts on Saturday, it was worth an average of yep. 16 yards of yeah. field position. It was huge. And that really starts adding up before the half ends, you know, just to be able to trade punts 
give you a chance to work your way down the field. Don, I wrote my game column was I, I just kept thinking of the 1981 team, the way I watched mm-hmm. this team. Dynamic punter, great defense, and sometimes an offense that sputters but does do enough to win big games. I mean, I know it's early, but ironically, then Kirk brought up the 81 team in his post game without it, unsolicited. Nobody even asked him about it. Um, what do you think? I mean, is it too early to make that comparison right now? No, actually, actually, I had that in my notes also. It reminds me of the 81 team. Um, you know, certainly not sexy on offense, but no. <laughs> uh, a really stingy defense that understands how to play the game, an outstanding kicking game mm-hmm. that can make a difference, of course, in the uh, tough, hard-fought game. I still I flash back on the 81 game at Wisconsin. That day we didn't do much other on offense other than protect the ball. Uh, Wisconsin drove up and down the field, but we got we got tough as they got near the goal line. Mm-hmm. They they either missed a field goal or fell on downs. Uh, and then when they did fall, fail on downs or miss that field goal, we might be three and out on offense, but we'd punt the ball to the other end of the field. And here come the Badgers again, except they never could never could solve our defense, and that gave us a chance to have a low-scoring uh, win. I can't recall the exact score. It was something like 14-7 to seven or something. And um, and we won ugly, but we won. And, uh, That's all that matters. That we won a little bit ugly for sure on offense these first two weeks. Um, but the most meaningful stat will remain turnover margin. And, of course, if you're plus four, I believe we might be able to beat the Kansas City Chiefs if we're plus four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, certainly, we certainly don't have any trouble against a lot of Big Ten teams if we're plus four, or for that matter, a Big 12 rival. I want to ask you, I mean, you're a former head coach, former quarterback coach, former offensive coordinator. I was shocked when they took Purdy out. And I guess my issue with it is, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but to me it looks like Campbell was sending the message, hey, you're the reason we're losing this game. we got to get you out of here. I just didn't think it looked good. I thought it was, um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I saw a lot of missed blocks by their offensive linemen. I didn't think Brees Hall had a great game. And I I thought there were some drop passes. What were your thoughts on that, Don? Pat, I I agree with you 100%. I remember at the time thinking – that really surprised me because my recall was that that Purdy really hadn't had much to do with their problems. And I went back and checked, and I was exactly correct. I'll tell you what happened on the last two possessions okay. involving Purdy. One of them was the, the, the forced fumble and the scoop and score. And the other one was a tip pass yeah. that ended up in our hands and that produced a field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not. It was a great play by Joe Evans. Joe Evans was really hustling hard on the play, mm-hmm. barely got his finger on the ball, but it was enough, of course, to change the flight of the ball, and it ended up in our hands. And neither one of those turnovers was the responsibility of, of Brock Purdy, so it did surprise me. Uh, of course, at the time, his last snap was late in the third quarter. I guess you're aware of that. Yeah. Uh, when Deggers went on the field, it was their first snap of the fourth quarter. And I remember thinking, you're down by 17. I think, I'm sorry, maybe 14. Um, no, I believe 17. The more I think about it, I believe it was 17. Uh-huh. But the bottom line is, you've still got an explosive back. You've still got receivers that can make plays. Uh, you've got a home crowd. You know, the game's not over. No. And uh, I was just surprised that, that Purdy came out that early because it wasn't his fault so much as the fault of certain teammates or maybe just the credit of. Good Iowa play. Sure. 
when I look at Iowa State too, and we're not going to spend much time talking about Iowa State, but I'm surprised at their offensive line. I just, I mean, they just in two games now haven't really been able to sustain anything. I thought Iowa's defensive line just held its own again for the second week in a row. This young offensive line or defensive line, I thought played really well. I mean, for the most part, what do you think about the battle in the trenches? Yeah. I think so, but I think this also, if I want to single out one other player that's not in the in the front seven, it would have to be Jack Kerner. Early in the game, you might remember the play. Yes. One time Hall gets loose, and yep. he's in the open yeah. field. He's gone. And honestly, if Kerner doesn't make – that ball could go a long, long way. Yep. But in the open field, Kerner gets him on the ground, and that's what good free safeties do. They make plays in the open field. Mm-hmm. And Kerner had several of those, but that's the one that stuck in my mind because it was early in the game – and, and against a lot of opponents, against a lot of a lot of isolated tacklers, he would have made him miss and been down the field. Yes, uh, but Turner made a nice uh, form tackle on the play, and we lived to fight another down. So that's what good free safeties do. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted about that play, and when he got loose there, I'm like, oh, my God. But then Kerner made – I mean, he made a Perfect great play. play. That's what Coach Parker teaches. I mean, he keep, teaches he, – they're so good at keeping offenses in front of them. So and so, what do you think? I mean, because I, I actually have been texting back and forth with my nephew, Frank's son, about the – Jacob's in on first down, or, and then Merriweather comes in. Do you like how they're doing the – going from the 4-3 to the 3-2-5? Do you think they do it too much, or do you think it's working perfectly? And will it all depend on what type of offenses they face on how much Merriweather and Jacobs play? Because they're the two that are rotating. Yeah, I think they're simply uh, – I think logically they would simply pay attention to the personnel. Okay. On the part of the uh, opposing offense, and and uh, substitute accordingly, you know. So if it's going to be a heavier formation, uh, then that gives us a reason to put a third linebacker sure. on the field. I'm, I'm saying a true linebacker, mm-hmm. and number five certainly qualifies. Uh, and if they're going to show up with ten or eleven personnel, you better think seriously about having uh, nickel personnel, as we used to call it. Nowadays, it's the cash, the cash. Uh, position on the field that we that we play with number four and. Those guys do a great job of complimenting each other. Honestly, they're both such good players. I think they would hold up just fine, probably, even if they win against I agree, the yeah. other type of personnel. But it, it does give you a chance to keep a fresh player on the field at that critical position. And um, and we're just matching their personnel. It's something that we can do without any difficulty, and it puts our best our best players on the on the field at the right time. But you're right, though. I like Merriweather and Jacobs both. I think they both play. Merriweather they, plays very aggressively, man. He uh, attacks the line of scrimmage. And Jacobs was just awesome. He was very good, too. Man. And the linebackers were all good. Yes, they were. all good. Now, okay, let's shift over to offense. And, um, I mean, I guess let's start with the running game before. I mean, this, this is my biggest concern. But I guess the one thing, though, is if you look at the schedule, they've played Two or two of maybe the top three or four toughest teams on the schedule, at least for what we know now. But John, how concerned are you? We won't even start with Petrus right now. But how concerned are you about the running game? Well, I'm concerned, uh, of course, but I'm I'm also aware that we have a lot of new players in our offensive line. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. those guys are going to get better because they're going to be well coached. Um, you know, there's no better teacher than than the experience of being on the field. So uh, and of course we have a chance to to gain some confidence these next two weeks. Good point. With how we can play, it's safe to say the defenses we faced in game one and game two uh, certainly appear to be a lot better than the, the ones we're going to face these next two weeks. Although Kent State leads the nation so, uh, in turnovers. Yes, they do. Do you know that? And Iowa's second. Kent State has eight. Iowa has seven yep. in two games. 
Kent State leads the league. I was league. aware of that. Now, I think maybe uh, I do have the, the A&M game on tape, and I haven't seen all of it yet, but I suspect as the game played out, uh, A&M got a little bit sloppy with the ball, and I'm thinking that's when some of the turnovers turned up was more in the second half. And they still... The crazy thing about that, how do you... How do you gain such an edge on turnovers and still lose by 31? Yeah, it was 41, it was 41 40. to 10. Yeah. Of course, and, A&M's good. Uh, but then you saw A&M go out to Colorado and, and just lose. thrilled to squeak out there with, with a three-point win. So uh, I like our chances for sure these next two weeks. Uh, but having said that, I would have a forward response to anybody that wants to look down their nose at the MAC. And, of course, you realize I coached in the MAC for yes. three years. Yep. Uh, and my forward response would simply be, Toledo versus Notre Dame. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good um, point. You know, that, that gives you an idea of what those MAC teams are capable of. Well, Don, in Florida State, lost to Jacksonville State. Florida State almost beat Notre Dame. And you know me, I'm a Notre Dame fan. To me, this if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm like, yeah, maybe we're not very good. Yeah. I mean, and, and then, I mean, what, I mean, you saw the Florida State game. You saw how that thing ended. They got beat on the last play of the yeah. game. Yeah, so, it was, so, okay, so you think it's too early really to – and I agree with you. It's too early to judge the running game. And we're, let's face it, we're used to the running game sputtering. But let's shift over to Spencer Petras, and I, I'm a huge Petras fan. The one criticism I will give him more than anything is he's got to stop taking bad sacks. Yes. I mean, he do, doesn't he yeah. don't have to either run or throw the ball away? That's the worst thing I thought he did Saturday. Absolutely. The, the, the concerning aspect of it is it didn't happen once. It happened three times. Yes. Yeah. Four, really, you could argue. <clears throat> so you just got to have an awareness. There's this thing called uh, uh, field goal range. And once you're in field goal range, you better not do anything to work your way out of it. Yep. Uh, and, and we were lucky to hit a 51-yarder, I think it was, 50 mm, or 51, 51. Uh, for, for points. But one time we simply had to punt, and then the other time, we had the high snap, of course, that made it difficult to get, get the ball down. I think the holder did a great job of just finding a way to get the ball down on the ground. Mm-hmm. And at that point, of course, you can't fault uh, Shudak for the miss. It's pretty amazing that it even went anywhere toward the goalpost with our timing disrupted the way it was. Um, but uh, the thing that comes to mind for me as the game played out, I want to give I want to give the offensive staff, or maybe specifically Brian, you don't know, maybe this, maybe this advice came from Kirk, but in, in the first six plays on first down in the game, we ran the ball five times. We threw one pass. We did throw a play-action post. It was incomplete, but at least we gave it a shot down the field. I was glad to see that in the early stages of the game. But those five running plays on first down total 10 yards. And at that point, uh, Brian had a very good argument for throwing the ball on early downs mm-hmm. for two reasons. One is the running game wasn't that productive. <laughs> That's what Kirk said at halftime. And the other reason is the pass rush is not so insurmountable on first and second downs. Uh, and Brian did a good job, or, or Kenny, whoever recommended the plays, they were more short and intermediate throws rather than the play, rather than plays that required him to hold the ball a long time. Uh, so the result of that, throwing the ball on early downs, and of course by then we're in the second quarter, uh, eight plays, 49 yards, and a touchdown. And let's not forget it was only a 49-yard drive because of our first interception. Mm-hmm. Um, incidentally, the first interception, I, I remember watching Matt Hankins when he was a high school player. Uh, and I remember even then thinking, that guy's going to be a really good college player because he's got some links to him. Mm-hmm. Reminds me, reminded me a little bit of Merton Hanks, a guy that I recruited mm-hmm. years earlier. Also from Texas. Uh, but he's taller than most corners, and that gives him a chance. When the ball's thrown up, just as you saw on Saturday, it gives him a chance to high point the ball maybe even better. 
Uh, now, here's where the heady play comes in. If you, if you go back and look at the video, uh, as that receiver goes by Hankins, Hankins grabs his jersey for a split second. Mm-hmm. But he's smart enough to know if I grab it for a split second, I may get by with it. Uh, so he reins him in just for a second. Obviously, the official didn't see it or the flag would have flown. And, and then uh, 20 yards later down the field, he goes up and intercepts the pass. So it's just a heady play on his part. And even a penalty at that point would have been better, of course, than a, than a home run throw sure. over the top. So, um, you know, a lot of people would argue that was a smart play on his part to tug a little bit of jersey and try to give himself a chance to catch up. Is that something that uh, coaches teach? You know, I don't know that for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's taught. Uh, and again, if you just hang on for a split second, you may actually get by with it. Mm-hmm. And, and in did. that case, we got by with it on Saturday. Don, I guess one concern I have with the Iowa passing, I mean, there was, I mean, Laporta had another big drop. I mean, Spencer's had, you know, three or four drops this year, but they don't really seem to be connecting with receivers downfield on vertical routes. Or am I over-exaggerating that? Is it too early? I'm just not seeing much stretching going on. I, Tyrone Tracy, two years ago, was always getting downfield, it seems like. Now that doesn't seem to be happening. There was a great one to Charlie Jones for the touchdown. That was the, that was the only one all and, yeah. and it was still a 26-yard pass. Yeah. I mean, it was... But and there was no field behind it. But they're just not stretching the field vertically. Or is it too early to make that judgment? You know, that's a good question. Um, obviously, we're not. We haven't connected on a lot of deep balls, and, and you got to give some credit to the defense, of course, for being able to defend their zones. Uh, but uh, the only thing I would say to that is that one of the things we used to do, and of course we had we had some really good push receivers, as we called them. You know, guys that could drive the corner deep downfield. Uh, we used to throw a lot of three-level passes where the the outside receiver, his job would be to run what we call an inside go. He, he'd want to clear the corner, but he'd want to escape inside to force the corner's hips to turn inside because when that intermediate route went out there, and that was a guy like Marv Cook or Dana Hughes maybe in the slot formation, uh, the, the hole we hit was 18 yards downfield. And that poor old corner would have to react up and tackle that intermediate receiver that was catching a square out or a trail route. Um, and um, so the the, um, the quandary for that corner, after a while, he gets tired of having to react back up and tackle a receiver for a gain of 22. So he starts cheating on that push route a little bit, and that's when we throw the ball over the top. Uh, and Robert Smith caught 16 touchdown passes in his career, primarily because that corner got tired of honoring that deep that deep go route. And if he got a little bit lazy, a little bit nosy and trying to defend both, that's when we went ahead and, and threw the ball up and over with good success. So uh, a lot of those touchdown passes we used to throw, uh, the receiver that caught the ball for a touchdown wasn't even the primary receiver. His job was to do a great job of pushing that corner out of there. And if the corner didn't go, then we simply threw it. Uh, simple concept is against zone defense, you read from top to bottom. In other words, you look deep first. If the corner's going with the, the push receiver, then you throw the intermediate route unless it's taken away. And if it's taken away, then you come on down again. So it's three on two. It's three receivers versus two defenders. The corner who's playing a deep zone and then the flat defender, whoever he might be. So it's a great concept, and we just used to wear people out with it. And, and uh, you know, maybe going forward we can throw some of those. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have similar concepts today. Uh, you know, we had a couple of tight ends that caught – um, caught balls that were breaking outside, you know, what you would think of as a square up. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a push on the part of the outside receiver then. 
so hopefully we're always checking deep first and we're not overlooking a receiver that might be open deep when he's not the primary receiver. Don- Don, you know Phil was mad at halftime when they drove down the field. They gave up a big play, which they normally don't do. I remember thinking to myself, they're going to regroup, and that you watch. This defense is going to come out and do something because you know when he was walking off that field, he was pissed because that defied everything that he stands about. And then they come back and they make a big play in that third quarter. I mean, just Phil Parker, I mean, I I know it's like beating a, a dead horse, but, I mean, you can't understate how important he is to this team and how successful his defenses are. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's a great example. That was a 49-yard play, uh, and we always talk about position on the ball. You mm-hmm. heard me talk about that every week. And uh, that's one case where the ball broke back across the field. Kerner's the guy that really lost position uh, because Riley Moss was really hustling. He was able to bump him out of bounds on the four, uh, but still uh, the damage was done. They scored one play later. But I do want to comment, you know, I think it is important, and our, our, our defenders certainly understand this, you still out to get to that ball here. I don't care if he's already gained 50 yards. If you can stop him short of the goal line, then that's what you have to do. Uh, there was a great example in the bowl game a couple of years ago against Mississippi State, or maybe three years ago. I'll lose track of time. But we had a, a DB that sold out. The guy made a long, long run down. I the remember you right. ran for 60 or 70 yards. Yep. Our guy sold out, barely clipped his ankle. The guy goes down on the one-yard line, and four, play, four plays later, they had to kick a field goal. That's right. Good point. And so that's the that's the great coaching point that all coaches will mention is you just force them to snap the ball at least one more down, and maybe we can maybe we can get this thing turned back around. In this case, it didn't happen. They scored the next play, but it gave us a chance to have a goal line stance. Here's another example. They they put a good drive together. They got first down on the 11-yard line. And at that point, of course, good defenses force you to kick a field goal. That's exactly what we did. We were still inside the 10-yard line on that next series of downs. We forced them to kick a field goal. Three points is a lot different than seven. Coach, what, going back to our running game woes, in that game Saturday, how much credit do you have to give to Iowa State's defense for making it difficult for us to run, and how much of it was the inconsistency of our offensive line play? I think you do have to give Iowa State a lot of credit. The guy I keep noticing is number one. Uh, he's a he's a safety, but, man, he is rolling down into that box in a hurry. When he sees run, he is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a hard hitter. I think he's one of their most physical players. So a lot of the time, our number 15 got tired of running into number one because he's a guy that can't be blocked. Yeah, that's Isham Young. Uh, so he's I really him, good. I give him credit for, for stacking the box, and, of course, on early downs especially. Uh, they they logically would try to do that, try to put us in second long. They were doing a good job with that, and that's precisely why Brian decided, and maybe it came from Kirk, uh, you know what, we're not making a lot of headway with these these uh, first down runs. Let's throw the ball on more on first down because we're struggling to protect on third down. Mm-hmm. So if we're gonna if we're gonna carve them up with some passing game. It better be on first and second down. One thing with Iowa State that I kind of had noticed is they don't have that big tall dynamic receiver like they often do a, a Lazard or what was the one Hakeem you remember who I'm talking Butler. about Hakeem Butler they don't seem to Hutchinson's good but they don't seem to they always seem to have a, a receiver who can make two or three plays in a game that shifts field position they or but maybe that was just Iowa's defensive backs playing really well but Don I'm just not seeing that big dynamic receiver for Iowa State this year you know honestly I think the guy they think of then, I think, is more often than not a tight end named Kohler. Oh, Kohler. He's not 100% you know, yet, but he did lead him in catches. He had six. 
Yeah, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the great speed, of course, no. to make an eighty yard play, but he can certainly make twenty and thirty yard plays, and has done it all of all of his career, really, all of last year at least, and mm-hmm. he'll do it this year too. You know, he made some nice catches on Saturday against us. But doesn't that kind uh, of change? Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. We lose him. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, what were you no. going to say? Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Um, but doesn't that kind of change the kind of offense they are if you if you're relying on a tight end to make those plays as opposed to? It just seems like they weren't as explosive as I've seen them in the past. Is maybe and Kohler did have six targets. He caught four for 34 yards. But the word is that he's not close to 100. percent I, but no, he's good. You're right. He's a future NFL tight end. Yeah, I think so too. I think, um, you know, Brees Hall is going to get loose. You know, these first two games, um, I give Northern Iowa credit for doing a good mm-hmm. job of containing him, and I give us the same kind of credit. You know, he came close to breaking a couple, but that's where that one consistent tackle coming out of the secondary can make all the difference. Those are huge tackles to get a guy on the ground when he's about to break into the open field. No, you're right. I mean, like I said, that play by Kerner was one of the early key plays, momentum that would have changed plays. the whole oh, game? Without question, I think yeah. it would have, because he may have scored on that. Okay, so now, Don, I, um, Tyler did text me, Tyler Devine, two of Kent State Kent State did intercept two Texas A&M passes in the second quarter, but still, I mean, the game turned out to be a – I think in these next two games, Kent State's going to be a little bigger challenge than – Colorado State looks like they're really struggling right now, new head coach and what have you. So what, what does Kirk just – does the mindset just not change at all? Does Kirk just trust that his guys will stay as focused in, locked in, even though they're going to be heavily favored? Or do you have to address that as a head coach? No, you can bet that he's going to mention, he's going to mention, at some point mention probably, or if he doesn't mention, then his assistant coaches will. uh, Probably mention that Toledo gave Notre Dame a scare. You know, Mm -hmm. Toledo versus Kent State, people have a hard time predicting for sure who's going to win that game from year to year. So Kent State's still dangerous. You know, those players have a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, I flash back on when we were playing at at, um, at Buffalo. You know, we, we really got up. We played Georgia really tough one year down in between the I remember that. you know, And, and uh, we played Ohio State tough one year. Of course, it did help that we had Khalil Mack out there playing for us. <laughs> uh, he was a key guy on defense, and nobody could block him. Uh, so um, uh, I think, you know, our guys just – need to understand, and I think they have their feet early on the ground. It will be interesting. This will be an adjustment for them. I flashed back to that 85 team. <clears throat> we're coming back from Ames after beating them convincingly, and I think that's when we found out that we were number one at that point. Sometime shortly thereafter, uh, you know, we were voted number one. And the reason I bring it up now, I think we're, what, number five? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Is that what I heard? Yep. Uh, well, congratulations to uh, Iowa football uh, we're no longer doing the hunting. Now we become the hunted. Yep. Now people are going to be gunning for us more so than we were gunning for them. Uh, and as you as you work your way up in the polls, you have to expect nothing but the best effort out of the other team. It doesn't matter whether it's Kent State or Wisconsin. You're going to get their best. Um, and, of course, there are opponents that look maybe stronger than Wisconsin right now. Um, Penn State comes to mind. I'm still... I'm very concerned about Maryland because Maryland Me is a too. big play offense. Yep. And that'll be the ultimate test for our defense if we can keep those guys under control because they do have big play potential all over the field. And it's also a Friday night so, game. Um, it's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. 
So and it's a Friday night game. It's a short week. I always worry about those Friday games because it's a short week. If you're the team that's traveling, yeah. because let's face it, you gotta you gotta leave one day earlier, and, and your preparation um, is simply not the the normal time frame that you have for any other game. And I think uh, another thing Kurt could mention is, and I guess he will, it won't surprise me if he mentions it to us, 2002, that great team almost lost at Miami of Ohio. That's right. They had to have that yeah. last drive stop in order to win that game. It was like 29-24, what have you. And then Minnesota almost lost to Miami of Ohio last week. Wasn't it 31-25? So there's lots of examples. And I do think this team's pretty mature. And doesn't a mature, experienced team handle games like this better, Don? Obviously, a team that's focused and has a yeah. lot of good maturity. Yes, it's a different kind of pressure. Uh, when we start uh, start up against Kent State, of course, just for the sake of argument, if the score is, is seven to three at the end of the first quarter, yeah. that's a different kind of pressure because those players are aware. Our fans didn't realize this might become a tough game, so now you got a little extra pressure on you because you're up to that point in the game. You simply haven't lived up to the expectations that your fans or for that matter the players had no, you know no. they don't want it to be close after one quarter either if it happens to be close into halftime you know now you're going to see some players respond the right way you know to really just be more determined than ever to start that second half but there's always that possibility that some players will they're not used to that experience so some of them might uh, tighten up a little bit to the point that they don't play well you got to deal with that mm-hmm. and of course it all starts with the coaches uh, I always advise young coaches, sometimes coaches have asked me when they became head coaches, do you have any advice for me? And I said, yeah, here's one bit of advice, a simple expression that I always used to use, and that would be never let them see you sweat. And, and here's what I mean by that. If the game's not going the way you hoped it, the way you expected it to, you better not go into panic mode on the side. If you do as a head coach, I promise you your players are going to react to that in the wrong way. So keep your cool as a coach. You know, don't overreact to what's happening. You have to get your message across, of course, is what we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And and Brian and Kirk did that there in the second quarter. They said, you know, this first down run stuff's not paying off. We can't protect very well on third and long. Let's throw the ball on early downs and see what happens. And, of course, that was the key to us. Um, really, we threw for, I believe, 94 yards, I think it was. We threw for 94 yards in the second quarter. Well, for the entire game, we only threw for 105. So that's when all the yardage piled up was in the second quarter. And thankfully, mm-hmm. we did that, which gave us a chance to have 14 points at the half and gave us a chance to have a halftime lead. And one more thing I'll mention, that second quarter scoring, if you look at the from the previous 13 games for Iowa State, that's all of last season plus you and I, in those 13 games, the team that won the second quarter had a record of 11-1. and one, wow. And the only exception to winning when you won that was actually Iowa State versus I believe it was the Raging Cajuns last year. Yeah. Uh, so the the point the point was those there were only two here's the bad news. It's hard to beat Iowa State on all kinds of these most important parameters. But if you beat them on second quarter scoring a year ago, you won every time. The bad news is only two teams that beat them in the second quarter. That was Oklahoma in the championship game, and then Oklahoma State in the regular season. So, sure enough, we beat them in the second quarter, and we win the game. So the analytics did, did hold up. Second quarter scoring is important. Well, Spencer Petrus was great in the second quarter, and as you mentioned. In both games. In both games. And how can we get uh, Spencer to be uh, second quarter Spencer throughout the game? 
Well, um, in his defense, <laughs> there were all kinds of players in the first quarter that were not playing up to their full potential. Agree, I'm talking about on both teams. Yep. So I think you just got to realize, you know, it's it's um, it's a pretty emotional moment for players on both sides, and maybe they're not they're having to get used to the crowd noise. They're having to get used uh, to it. It was a warm. It was a very warm day. It was a difficult execution wise to play in those kind of hot conditions. Uh, we were a little bit antsy, you know. Uh, for sure, that first quarter was shaky on the part of Spencer. Didn't shock me. It's the first time he's been in front of a hostile crowd. Uh, but to his credit, uh, he changed everything there in the second quarter. And, of course, I give the, the coaches uh, as play callers a lot of credit for helping him to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, both games, it seems like they've gotten open more in the second mm-hmm. quarter, and they've just clicked. And I thought, and I don't want to focus just on but I thought Laporta's drop was big. The one – I thought because I thought they had a little bit more momentum going, but um, Don, do you think do you think there's going to be times where Spencer's going to have to run the ball this year, where he's just going to have to run and just you know take a hit or take a knee or whatever? I just thought there were two or, two or three plays where he just needed to just run, tuck the ball. I mean, Nate Stanley took a while to do that for when he became the starter. Yeah, well, we've already seen one instance of it, and that was the Q draw. Yeah, and it worked. One. Um, so, and the beauty of that. You know, if you if you if you ask him to run the ball uh, very infrequently, then of course they never expect him to run the ball. So cue draw, if you don't call it very often, it's going to have great effect. There are other other plays we can design for him to be the ball carrier, uh, and um, and I don't doubt over the course of the season you're going to see some of those uh, unlikely scenarios. Let me give you a great example of doing a good job of, of breaking tendencies. Uh, I give Brian credit again, or maybe the offensive staff. Somebody came up with the idea. We were first in goal at the nine-yard line. Spencer's in the gun, like always. The only guy back there with him is number 38. And I promise you, nobody on the part of Iowa State thought 38 was going to carry the ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here we are running the ball with our fullback uh, out of the shotgun for a gain of five on the nine-yard line. If you gain five from the nine-yard line on first and goal, that is a good play. I don't mm-hmm. care who gets tackled with the ball. Uh, and, of course, it gave us second and four, and we went ahead and scored on that second down. Um, so good football, you know, because those are those are key breakers. And uh, and I, I don't doubt we're going to be able to do some of that with Spencer as a, as a design ball carrier. That's going to happen. Uh, not a lot because he's not that good a runner. He has to have that, that uh, element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the other ones you're talking about, Pat, are simply reactions to pressure. Yeah, and just get out and of the right. pocket. You're right. We need to, and we've talked about this already. You pull the ball down. You don't just throw it off the field. If you can run for two or three or four, take or who eight. knows, maybe you run for eight. Uh, you know, that makes that, makes that next critical down, uh, you know, more reasonable. Instead of, instead of third down and nine, you got third down and six just because he ran for three yards back on the first down. Uh, and, of course, it's easier to convert on third and six than it is third and nine. Um, so those things do start to add up. They do have a cumulative effect as the game plays out. And uh, and every now and then, of course, you see this sometimes. Since he's not much of a threat to run, I promise you over the season, we're going to see a fair amount of what I call two-man. Let me explain what two-man is. Two-man is two deep safeties in the back end with 500-man coverage. In other words, all five eligible receivers have man-to-man defense but then they have the assist, the assist of having two deep safeties in behind. Uh, and the reason they're able to do that, some teams are going to do that to us because they don't expect 
Spencer to ever run the ball. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we have to guess right and call a Q draw at that moment. Spencer just has to have the awareness. It's third down and 12. It looks like they might be two-man. So when I drop back, if I can't find a guy that's open, I need to realize nobody's manned up on me. So once I get downfield versus that, that four-man pass rush, all the defenders are chasing the receivers. You know, that's when you end up with a guy like Tom Brady running for 35 yards on one play. You know, Spencer in that situation, he might run for 35 also because half the defense doesn't even realize he's got the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that scenario is going to play out sometime over the season too. And and the the beauty of pulling the ball down and running it, if you recognize it's two-man, is you're discouraging teams from doing that to you. That's a difficult defense to throw against, obviously, because you got you got security on deep throws from the two safeties, and you got man-to-man defense underneath, and it's, of course it's hard to free up versus man coverage, especially when they know they have help over the top. Coach, we've seen four or five plays, I think, in the first two games of, from the Wildcat formation. One play was successful; the other one's not so much. H- how do you feel about the Wildcat? And are they trying to set up a specific play, or are they just trying to give it a different look? Well, I was disappointed the other day with our Wildcat snap. I don't even know if we had more than one. I think one. But the one I remember, I'm pretty sure, it was the first, probably the last one that we had. Uh, it was simply, um, it was simply Goodson taking the snap, and then. And then there wasn't any, any deception to the play. That's, that's the point I didn't like about it. There was a lead blocker. He, you know, Goodson ran the ball to the same side as the offset back. It was a fast flow play, what we call a fast flow play. The defense ran to it. I don't know if we gained an answer or not. We certainly didn't gain much. Mm-mm. We gained next to nothing on that play. Uh, you know, the better Wildcat plays are the plays that involve the, the Wildcat back, <laughs> uh, you know, riding the other back in the backfield. And now he's going to have to read somebody to figure out what to do with the ball. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because you got a guy, he can be taught to do that. Uh, I'm sure that Goodson can do it right now. He's had some practice with it in the past. To me, those are the better plays out of the Wildcat would be not just a fast flow play where it's kind of obvious that, that the Wildcat back is going to carry the ball and everybody's, everybody's running to the point of attack because they know where the ball's going. I like those that involve some misdirection. You know, the other back going across the formation and the Wildcat uh, reading uh, one of those down linemen to figure out whether to give the ball or not. Those are the better Wildcat plays. Well, let's look around at the Big Ten um, a little bit. Um, The Ohio State game, yeah, I'm always surprised when Ohio State loses, especially at home, but it was a 12th-ranked Oregon team that I had under. They looked really good. And Ohio State's got issues on defense, and they do have seven new starters on defense. So just did you have a chance to watch any of that game, Don? I did, yeah. And it it all starts with with defense again. You know, if your defense cannot keep you in the game, if you're giving up points, that puts extra pressure on the offense. Of course, you got a freshman quarterback that I think is doing – really well yeah. uh and how about 300 yard receivers Incredible. that receiving core might be the best in college football it's mm-hmm. certainly among the best uh but the problem ohio state has of course is their inability to run the ball too mm-hmm. not that they can't run it but they can't run it like most ohio state which i don't there. understand uh yeah and and of course they got problems on offense as bill brazier famously said the only problem about about trying to live and die just with a great offense and a, and a marginal defense is that it requires a lot of points. And yeah. then if you happen to have that that off day where you turn the ball over three times, then good luck trying to win that game because you've eliminated too many of your scoring opportunities already with those three turnovers. 
So uh, there's less margin for error for Ohio State now. Uh, they realize right now because we're struggling on defense, uh, we have to find a way to put up more points than the other team, and that puts additional pressure on a young quarterback and additional pressure on all players on offense. It was interesting listening to Ryan Day's post game where he's explaining after they had 613 total yards offense how you know we got to be they had 128 yards rushing and almost 500 yards passing and he was talking about we have to become more balanced. I mean and what I don't find they have arguably the best set of tackles in college football and their running backs are just lights out. I why can't they run the ball? You know, I think I think they'll be able to run the ball well against uh, certain teams. You know, you think back to that Minnesota game. Uh, they didn't sustain a lot of drives against Minnesota. They just beat them with big plays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they're a little bit like a little bit like uh, Maryland in that regard. Uh, they do have big play ability uh, at the running back position too, but he's still got to get. He's still got a little bit like Brees Hall on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brees Hall's got home run potential, but you got to get him. You got to get him out of the box. You know, you got to get him out in the open field, and then you got to hope that there's not a really capable tackler like. Kerner that still may get him on the ground one on one. So uh, it'll be interesting going forward. You know, right now, you, Michigan I thought looked good against Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe Washington's not that good, but you. It's still Washington. Winner of the Washington Huskies not decent. They're always decent. Mm-hmm. So that's a good win for Michigan. Maybe maybe Michigan's going to be able to challenge them this year. Maybe it's going to be Penn State. Penn State. Maybe it's going to yeah. be Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting race. Um, there were a lot of Big Ten teams that looked good last weekend, but of course, in general, they were against, uh, in almost every case, against teams they were supposed to beat. Well, and in some cases, beat convincingly, and they did. So, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting race. And same way in the West. Uh, you know, I'm still concerned about a crossover game against Maryland. I'm still worried about teams like Purdue that have, uh, I think, certainly above average uh, capability on offense. Uh, because I think Jeff Brom is one of the better offensive minds in the Big Ten. So that'll be a concern. They're all a concern. Let's face it. You know, we, we don't have we don't have tons of margin for error either. No, Our no. defense gives us some margin of error yeah. because we can afford to sputter on offense and still put up some points on the strength of our kicking game every time we're going to. I wouldn't be surprised if we trade punts all year and we pick up yardage against every opponent on our schedule. That's entirely possible. Not just because of our punter versus their punter, but because of our punt returner versus their punt returner also. That's a good point. Hey, Don, I want to ask you about one game in particular that hits home with you. Didn't Purdue win at UConn 49 nothing? Yeah, it was ugly. And Randy Edsel, they, I mean, what's going on at UConn, Don? I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Or can, are you comfortable talking? I'm just kind of curious. Well, to that, me, it's tragic. You might recall, you know, when, when we went there, um, and I think it's kind of common knowledge in sports today. If you're a new staff, if you're fortunate, you're going to get three years. You better turn it around in year three. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, they, they might very well get another group of coaches. We actually turned it around in year two. Mm-hmm. We were actually ahead of schedule. Um, and at that point, I retired, and then things went in the toilet in year three. Uh, and Bobby got fired, and the entire staff was let go, too. Uh, the thing that disappointed me uh, they they hired Randy Etzel back. Randy Etzel's the same guy that won at UConn. He did a nice job to win at UConn. You might recall they played in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. They, they uh, looked good in losing, I believe, to OU, I think it was. Uh, it was a Bob Stoops OU team, a good team. Uh, and then, then he ups and leaves for Maryland. And I don't think he ever even properly said goodbye to the team. You know, to me, that's inexcusable mm-hmm. because those players deserved 
uh, an explanation from their coach as to why he was leaving for, for Maryland. Um, he gets started at Maryland, I believe, in four years. Um, he bounces around, gets paid for another year or two beyond when he was actually coaching, and then and then UConn invites him back. Uh, so, and the, the thing, it really hits home for me. You're not aware of this, but way back in time, uh, I interviewed for the UConn job when they hired Randy Edsel. I don't think too many people know I that. I was not aware Brad of that. Childress from Wisconsin interviewed for the job. I also interviewed for the job. Uh, I felt good about the interview, uh, but the, the basic reason they hired Randy Edsel over either Brad or myself is that uh, Randy Edsel had ties to the to the uh, the Big East. He he had coached at Syracuse. Okay. He uh, he was born and raised back there. You know, I'd gone to school at West Point, but you know, I'm a, a guy that grew up in Texas and coached in the Midwest. And Brad Childress also coached in the Midwest, so it made sense in some ways to hire a guy with East Coast ties. Uh, they won. They they were patient with Randy. I think he finally won maybe in year five or year six. Uh, and as soon as he won big enough to get another job, he left. He left. Yeah. So I don't think he deserved a second chance to coach UConn. And I'm just uh, heartbroken that that program is where it is because there are a lot of good UConn fans. UConn's a wonderful school. You know about them in basketball, of course. But mm-hmm. in my mind, you know, they could have they could have been a powerhouse in the East um, because they had some advantages even over even over schools like Syracuse or. Of course, when when Penn State went to the Big Ten, uh, you haven't been able to call them the beast of the East anymore because too many Big Ten teams have been able to knock them down. Um, So it's unfortunate that UConn has such a a mess on their hands. Uh, And there's a lot of talk about them even going back to FCS football. Mm. Uh, I hate to see that, but it might happen because they got to find a home. And and I don't know that the ACC is going to take them. And and, uh, I'm not sure where they can go. Well, there's another rehire, Greg Schiano at, at Rutgers, seems to be doing real well. Uh, their team got some votes this week in the AP poll, and uh, so it, rehires can work, but uh, they don't always. Yes, you're right. And that's a great example of one that, that's worked very well. You know, I thought, I don't know much about Syracuse, but I think they played at Syracuse and beat them yeah. in the Carrier Dome. So Rutgers is for real. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win the win the East, but they're certainly going to be respectable. I think all the way through the schedule. I agree. And uh, it all starts, with, of course, with the head coach uh, setting the right kind of tone. You know, uh, Shano's a no-nonsense guy. I'm sure he's instilled good discipline in the team that maybe they didn't have before. And of course, he's he's uh, certainly earned a good reputation as an outstanding defensive coach. And he's keeping the talent there. Yeah, I would say right now Rutgers, Maryland, and Michigan would be my three biggest pleasant surprises so far. And Michigan, of course, is in a different circumstance. But they look like they can run the ball, and uh, he may have a team finally this year. And he's won 10 games three times before. So, But like you said, Don, he may have a team that he can control the tempo, and maybe, maybe this is his chance to get Ohio State this year. It's still early, but they're running the ball well in Ann Arbor. Yeah, that back is good, too. Yeah. Uh, he's a good player. and So the pressure's off the quarterback a little bit. He's yep. not going to have to throw 35 times a game. The defense is going to – it looks like the defense is going to be more sound than it was. They gave up – it didn't look like Michigan defense last year. I think no. it gets back again to maybe too much reliance on man coverage. Man coverage is great if you got the guys to do it, but uh, as we've discussed before – the problem you run into is you better not have a weak link in terms of how well he can play because mm-hmm. they're going to find ways to match up a good receiver versus your weak defender. 
So you better have good players in all kinds of positions to to play man defense. Okay, now I got to ask you a question about my Chicago Bears. Did you watch the game last night? I watched just a little bit of it, not much. I'm just uh, the the way they're using Justin Fields is so bizarre. They're just throwing him in uh, like for a play. It's just, I mean, it's. W- w- did you see any of that? I mean, they'll throw him in to run some gimmick play or something, then they take him right back out. But last night they took Dalton out a couple times when he was actually getting into a rhythm, and it was just, it was a nightmare. I'm a longtime Bears fan. I was just kind of curious. It's tough to use a quarterback that way, isn't it, Don? To take him out and whatever. I mean, just how tough is that on rhythm and cohesion? Yeah, I do think it's tough. Uh, if the, if the two quarterbacks know going in that it's going to be a platoon system you know maybe it's a case of one quarterback has a certain skill set the other quarterback's different Mm -hmm. maybe the other team maybe it's an early season game the other team is not fully aware of what their strengths are uh you know you might be able to especially if you explain it that way to the quarterbacks and get them to buy in you might be able to pull it off you know by by uh, interchanging those two quarterbacks but i think in general it's difficult to do it's certainly difficult to do as the season plays out because the defensive staff you're going against is going to have a better and better awareness of what plays are likely to come uh, for each of those two quarterbacks. So I don't like that. I mean, I'm sure the quarterbacks don't like it either. Um, no, you can and, tell Dalton uh, didn't like it. I've lost. I don't have a whole lot of faith in the in the current Bears staff, <laughs> at least in terms of play calling. I don't either. A little bit I've watched, and I am a Bear fan, of course. But you can tell I've lost a little bit of interest because they were on last night, and I was watching college football. Instead, yeah, that's not good. That's not a good. That's not good news well, for the Bears. Sometimes the Bears go into hibernation a little early, and maybe next season. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. <laughs> but I tweeted during the game last night that I wish the Cubs could trade Andy Dalton and Matt Nagy, the head coach. Kind of a joke since the Cubs are trading everyone. Okay, well, let's get back before we wrap this up. God, I can't believe we've almost gone through another hour. Yeah. But um, with I, I've been thinking since. They were 0-2 last year. I mean, could you make a strong case, Don, that this has maybe been some of the best coaching Kirk has done over these last, over this last year? I mean, under all the different circumstances, having the racial stuff, having his son as the offensive coordinator who's still embroiled in the racial lawsuit, and just having all these different pressures, and yet they've won eight games in a row, and they're ranked fifth in the country. I just think this, that Kirk, you've got to recognize a job well done. Yes, no doubt about it, uh, and that's especially true. You, you know, you go back to the fact that we were zero and two last mm-hmm. year, uh, and those are two losses that it's kind of hard for us to understand how they even happened, uh, but they did. And um, to be able to turn that around and win six in a row, and I know a, a skeptic would say some of those teams weren't that good. But well, but they were also a lot of routine wins. The mm-hmm. games weren't necessarily that close. Good either. point. Yeah. So. Um, to be able to get that all straightened out and then and then get started this year like we have, I think you can you can say that it just speaks well to um, to Kirk, um, you know, being sticking to his guns, you know, understanding how to play football. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it helps that Phil Parker is um, perfectly aligned with Kirk in terms of how to play defense. Uh, you know, we believe in how we can play defense. We keep the ball in front. We rally to the ball. We have good position on the ball. We we understand that we might bend, but we're not going to break. You're not going to you're not going to hit a bunch of home runs on us if you mm-hmm. if you want to beat us with a bunch of singles. Then congratulations to you if you can pull that off. Uh, you know, but it's hard to, it's hard for teams to execute 
14 plays down the field. You know, there's too many things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most obvious being a turnover, but a simple holding call can ruin a drive, as we've discussed before. Even a five-yard penalty can can disrupt what you're doing because you're now behind the chains, as we say, and it's difficult to to uh, sustain that drive. So, uh, and then to, to add in the defense with a very very solid kicking game, mm-hmm. both punter and kicker and return specialist, uh, and you got to give the blockers credit for doing a good job on those kick returns, punt returns. Um, we haven't been tested yet, of course, on on kickoff coverage, uh, but that's a great problem to have. I wouldn't mind having that problem the entire sure, season. Here's sure. <laughs> uh, Shudak again. How do you kick the ball five yards deep in both directions? It's but he, he was doing that. <laughs> so uh, it's amazing to me that he's got that kind of leg because he's not that tall, of no, course. He, no, he's little. But a really powerful leg. Cool. Uh, so it's exciting to know what might happen next because I think our guys have brought in entirely to – to the preachings and teachings of the coaches and and uh, simple examples like like effort, you know, great effort to tip a pass for, that results in an interception. Let's not forget Evans last week. I told Joe at practice on on Wednesday. I said, Joe, I saw you last week. You're the one that created that interception, and uh, and he had a big smile on his face because he knows that he knows that those kind of things do matter. Uh, he pressured. Uh, Indiana threw the ball just because he knew he was about to get tackled by Joe. Uh, and then how about how about Wagner? John Wagner didn't have a lot of tackles, but he play. had two passes tipped. Yep. Um, and uh, and eight tackles by Campbell, six tackles by Van Balkenberg. Um, you know, three picks, of course, as we talked about. Positives on offense. Petrus's ability to overcome a rocky start mm-hmm. and play his best when we needed him the most, and that was in the second quarter. And he still hasn't thrown an interception. Uh, throwing. I'm sorry. And he still hasn't thrown an interception. That's correct. And here's a good example, too, uh, that that early in the game, a key catch by Lachey, 17-yard catch. great play. Uh, And at the time when I first saw it, I I thought that's a better catch than it was a throw because the ball was high and behind Lachey. It was a really nice catch on his part. Yes, it was. But then when I saw the end zone replay of the play, I think I think I got to give Spencer some credit for throwing the ball away from the nearest defender. The nearest threat to the to the ball was out in front of Lachey. I think that's one reason he threw it a little bit behind Lachey, is to try to be sure to keep it away from that nearest defender. And the same on Laporta's catch, as I recall. Uh, that was a let's not forget that was a third and fifteen. We're on the minus twenty four yard line, and that is a critical twenty one yard completion yes, to Laporta. Was. Yep. Um, Here's another thing that shouldn't be overlooked. Solid relief by Ivory Kelly Martin. Mm-hmm. Eight rushes for 28 yards. Uh, and right now, of course, um, Goodson averaged less than three yards a play. So here's Kelly Martin. He comes in, goes for 3.5 when the game was in doubt. Uh, and then, of course, I thought, oh, my God, I, I'm hoping that's not a turnover. And then Which the replay showed he was down. He was down. Yeah. He actually yeah. had good ball security when he hit fly on his back. The ball popped up, and the replay got it right. So uh, we're getting good relief from certain That's backup players, and Kelly yep. Martin's a prime example. Tom, you got anything else? Um, okay, put on your offensive coordinator hat. Uh, Hawks got the golden flashes coming up Saturday. What uh, sort of game plan are you going to put together for Iowa? I'm planning on running the ball and then running the ball and then running the ball some more. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, and, of course, if you establish a running game, 
biggest concern from Saturday, still inconsistency in the running game. I'm not blaming the ball carrier as much as just inexperienced players up front. Uh, pass pro and obvious passing situations. But let's give credit to number nine. Number nine is certainly way above average as an edge rusher. Um, and then, of course, Spencer's got to have better field awareness. Yeah. Sacks went in field goal range. That should not happen. Uh, he's got to understand he's not nifty enough to, to bail out of the back of the pocket. So when the pressure's up the field, you have no choice but to step up into the pocket. Now, from there, you might slide left or right, depending on where the push is inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, you might get sacked for minus three, but that beats the hell out of minus ten. It sure yes, does. it does. Well, Coach, as usual, great stuff. It's so much fun talking after a big win, and I think we're going to be talking after a big win too, but I don't want to get so. too ahead of myself. I mean, They did run for 400 yards against VMI. Yeah, so, I mean, but you still got to go out there and play, and that's one area, though, I think Kirk's really good at keeping these guys yeah. grounded. So, Donnie, look forward to it next week. Have a good week, and like I said, great stuff. And, um, you know, this is – Turn it out so far. It's been a fun season. Hey, let me give credit before I let you go. Let me give credit to Brian for a really good call that probably okay. got overlooked. What's that? But this is the kind of thing that an old play caller might notice. Late in the game, we're protecting our lead. It's third down and six. And Brian calls a play that didn't work, but it was a good call. Instead of throwing a simple out route, he goes with a double cut late in the game on third and six. The beauty of that is they need a turnover, right? They're very likely to jump what appears to be an out route. Mm-hmm. That gives you a better chance to hit the double cut. So we didn't we didn't hit it. I don't even recall exactly what happened on the play. But it was a, uh, a play call that was very little risk on our part with a chance for a big payoff. Okay. Uh, it's just a heads-up call. Those are, those are good calls. That's a good time to run a double cut. The last thing you want to do is invite an interception, of course. Good, yeah. And to throw that out route out there just to make that six-yard first down is to invite an interception. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a smart call on his part. And I think it's a sign of growth for Brian that he made that call because a lot of a lot of play callers wouldn't have thought to do that. Well, thanks for pointing that's that out. That's all I got. Yeah. No, no, thanks for pointing that out because the average fan would not see uh, that. No, that's good to know. Sure didn't. Donnie, great stuff as always. Have a great week, and we will be in touch and talk to you again next Monday. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Yep. Thanks, Coach. Awesome as always. Yep, and it's so much more enjoyable talking after a win. And I did, I did though want to get his thoughts on UConn. Man, what a hapless situation. Yeah, boy, that's. I mean, just Purdue, sad. Purdue, I don't think even played many of their starters much in the second half. I mean, David Bill had three touchdowns in the first half, and I'm hoping over these next two games that Padilla gets some playing time. Well, I hope so. Uh, I think the the Golden Flashes may be a little tougher oh, than I, we were tough, thinking. Definitely on offense, they're better than yeah. Colorado State. What but, do you What do you know about Zachary Brand? Zachary Brand. Nothing. Freshman running back, supposedly. For who? For Iowa. Never never heard of him. He was picked up this weekend. Must but, be a walk-on, obviously. Uh, yeah, he must be. Um, yeah. I'm picked up for what? OWI uh, operating his uh, moped with too many riders, no safety flag, uh, bloodshot, watery eyes, impaired speech, impaired balance. Yeah, we. Uh, well, it's isn't that what Worst got picked up for? Data Master uh, point uh, one zero eight. So he was barely drunk. Yeah. But drunk is drunk, and Worst got did the same thing. He had multiple people on his scooter, yep. and he was. We couldn't believe that his scooter could handle himself and multiple people. <laughs> no, he's got. He's a walk on. I, I, I. The name's familiar, but I get. I, I got to tell you, maybe twenty years ago, I may have known every. But that name does not. It did not ring. But a bell. no, he's definitely a walk on, and um, yeah. say running back or fullback. 
from uh, Grimes, running back, freshman running back. Yeah, no, but yeah, he's a walk on, and I'm sorry to hear that. They will, um, they will handle it accordingly, like they do with everything. He'll, I mean, it's he won't, he wasn't going to play anyway, so but a lot of that will be internal, and just hopefully he learns his lesson. Be careful out there. Okay, um, we we, we're going to take a break. We got a phone call, but I want to take a break. I got to carry this news uh, from CNN, and then we'll be back. Okay. Uh, breaking news, U.S. Capitol mm. Police, we're learning, have just arrested a man near the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Uh, he reportedly had a bayonet and a machete in his vehicle. CNN's Lauren Fox is on Capitol Hill following this breaking news. Uh, Lauren, tell us, uh, tell us about this threat and what comes next. Well, U.S. Capitol Police releasing a statement just a few minutes ago saying that around midnight, a 44-year-old Donald Craighead of California was arrested for illegally carrying prohibited weapons. Now, this was part of just a routine cruise around Capitol Hill where a police officer noticed that this truck, a Dodge pickup truck, had a swastika as well as other white supremacist paraphernalia on top of it. And instead of having a license plate, there was a picture of a U.S. flag. This tipped off an officer who went to question the individual and then found these weapons within the vehicle. Of course, this comes ahead of that planned Saturday rally. And just minutes, in just a few minutes, we expect that uh, Pelosi, as well as other top Republican leaders, are going to be meeting to discuss the Capitol security posture ahead of that rally on Saturday. I mean, this is just part of a slew of concerns and safety considerations up here on Capitol Hill, given the fact that there seems to be uh, a target out at the U.S. Capitol after January 6th, where extremists are viewing this place as somewhere to go to display their issues with the situation and politics right now, frankly, Jim. And I think that that's yeah. part of the concern here on Capitol Hill is that you have a series of these kinds of individuals coming around the Capitol. Obviously, you know, U.S. Capitol Police is saluting the officer who was doing good, just normal work that they do every day up here at the U.S. Capitol. But I think this is just part of a growing concern with the security posture at the U.S. Capitol. Jim and Erica. You know, to your turn about the point about those concerns, as you just said, Lauren, in just a few minutes, House Speaker Pelosi is going to be uh, meeting with top security officials, with congressional leaders, uh, briefing about this justice for J6 rally um, that's scheduled for the weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, do, do we know how much of, you know, what we just learned, as you pointed out, this was last night, is is part of that briefing? Um, and, and have you heard from many lawmakers? I know this is all new news, so, so you know, apologies yeah. to put you on the spot there, but wondering if you've heard any reaction reaction uh, to this breaking news from lawmakers um, just ahead of that briefing as well. Well, we're still waiting any new reactions from lawmakers on Capitol Hill, but I will tell you that U.S. Capitol Police are still investigating the circumstances surrounding why this man was outside of the Democratic National Committee's headquarters in Washington, D.C. Was he here as part of that planned rally on Saturday? That's an answer we just don't have any kinds of answers to right now. So I think that one thing to be keeping an eye on is who are the individuals that are attracted to coming to Washington, D.C. on Saturday? This is why 
why lawmakers are taking Saturday's rally so seriously. There are a lot of lessons learned after January 6th and the security posture, the security failures really that happened surrounding that event. Lawmakers on both the Republican and Democratic side want to make sure that they are not missing any potential threats. But obviously, it's concerning that you have someone who told law enforcement agents that he was just doing a patrol outside of the DNC and then was found to have these prohibited weapons, at least yeah. prohibited in the District of Columbia. Yeah, well, it gives him a right to patrol. And, and we should note that a lot of the recommendations for enhanced security around the Capitol recommended as part of that security view, po review post January 6th have not been implemented. Uh, and yet we have another rally coming. Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. KCJJ Weather, brought to you by Plum Supply. Plum Supply, kitchens and baths, your home never looks so beautiful. Here is your KCJJ forecast today, partly cloudy. It's going to be warm and a little humid today. We'll get to 85 this afternoon. The wind out of the south at around 5 to 15. Tonight, partly cloudy this evening. There may be an isolated shower or thunderstorm late tonight, 70. And then tomorrow, partly cloudy in the morning, scattered thunderstorms in the afternoon with a high of 83. We'll get to 79, mostly sunny on Wednesday. I'm meteorologist Sean Cable on the mighty 1630 KCJJ. Temperature now 70. 1-800-800-ROSE. 1-800-800-ROSE. Your FTD florist is the only number you need to know to send flowers anywhere in the country or Canada from anywhere in the country. 1-800-800-ROSE. It's so easy. Just remember one number. 1-800-800-ROSE. Your FTD florist. 1-800-800-ROSE. Remember... For a gift that your loved one will treasure for a lifetime, find it at our family-owned jewelry store in Iowa City, Pertine and Stocker Jewelers. We can show you diamond engagement rings, colored stones, fashion jewelry, and watches. Our jewelers are on site, so we can design jewelry for that special person in your life. We are Hertine and Stocker, serving Iowa City and the surrounding area for three generations. Hertine and Stocker Jewelers, downtown Iowa City, and HertineandStockerJewelers.com. Ask for Willa, Terry, Tim, or Kate. One of us is always there. Over the years, car keys have gotten extremely complex. Mike's Lock and E-Keys for Cars can generate the most technically advanced automotive keys on the market today. Mike's Lock and E-Keys for Cars can produce most conventional transponder, sidewinder, and remote-headed keys. If you've lost the keys to your car or simply need a duplicate, call 330-9185. Mike's Lock and E-Keys for Cars has the technology to keep you on the road. Call 330-9185 and schedule an appointment today. This is Patrick Eads, owner of Geary Brothers Ford Lincoln, serving Iowa City in the Corridor. Proud recipient of Ford's President Award for the highest customer satisfaction in both sales and service. Voted Iowa City's Best of the Area for New Car Dealer 2017 through 2019. Voted Iowa City's Best of the Area for Used Car Dealer 2020. Locally owned and operated, we understand the importance of community-minded business. We proudly support youth sports. Deary Brothers Ford Lincoln at the corner of Mormon Trek Boulevard and Highway 1 or online at DearyFord.com. GT Car, owner of Supel Siding and Remodeling, offers service and quality that is unmatched in the area. At Supel Siding and Remodeling, their trained professionals will install and guarantee the products used in any size job done. Regardless of the project, Supel Siding and Remodeling will stand behind their quality products and installation with exceptional customer service. Whether it's a window replacement, a kitchen remodel, or a house addition, our employees are committed to quality. Visit sales at suples.net or call 337-2246. Car won't go into gear? Call Premier. 
Premier Automotive in North Liberty offers full-service mechanical auto repair, in addition to being Eastern Iowa's most trusted name in auto body repair. Use Premier for all your auto repair needs, brakes, oil changes, air conditioning, diagnostics, transmissions, or preventative maintenance. Whether you hit a deer or your car won't go into gear, see Premier Automotive in North Liberty. Don't let just anyone take care of your smile. At Diamond Dental, you can expect compassion, expertise, and a personalized care plan to protect your teeth for life. With more than 30 years of combined experience, Dr. Forbes and his staff are prepared to tackle even your toughest dental problems, leaving your smile healthy and sparkling. Diamond Dental offers a full range of general and cosmetic dentistry, as well as dental treatment options for snoring and sleep apnea. It's never too early to start thinking about what's best for your smile. Schedule an appointment today by calling 319-390-3703 or visiting the office at 5815 Consul Street Northeast, Suite D1 in Cedar Rapids. You can also visit DiamondDentalPC.com for more information. Dr. Forbes is a proud sponsor of the Hawkeye Wrestling Club and the Inner Circle. Let the Diamond Dental team provide superior care for your entire family. Once upon a time in the land of the Hawkeyes, a business grew. A business that would become synonymous with real estate. Hi, I'm Steve Anderson of Hawkeye Title and Settlement. When you're buying or selling your home, you'll need title and settlement services. Consider the Hawkeye Title and Settlement team. Give us a call at 351-8600. Hawkeye Title and Settlement, the team you love, the people you trust. Hey everybody, it's Kevin here from Big Dog Satellite and Solar, your local TV expert, and I want to tell you about Dish TV. If technology, value, and customer satisfaction are important to you, then it's time to cut the cable cord once and for all. Upgrade your TV experience and start saving with Dish today. Drop by Big Dog Satellite and Solar on Blairs Ferry Road in front of Rockwell. Call 3950800 or visit us on the web at BigDogSatellite.com. We are Big Dog Satellite and Solar. Solar, your locally operated and trusted satellite TV experts. Hi, this is Bill Eichsring of the Oxyoke Inn. Our doors are open again. Although the way we serve you is different, we're still here and ready to welcome you. We've learned a lot about keeping you and our staff safe. What hasn't changed is our commitment of trust to you and your family. Our Oxyoke family is ready to take care of you in our four dining rooms with the same quality of food, attention to detail, and customer service you've come to trust for the past 80 years. Those values are now more important than ever. Now serving family style breakfast Saturday and Sunday with lunch, dinner, and banquets daily. Don't forget, you can still order curbside carryout and take the comforting taste of the Oxyoke home with you to share at your family's table. Visit Oxyokin.com, Instagram, or our Facebook page for menu and weekly specials. From our Oxyoke family to yours, we can't wait to see you again soon. And we'll be glad you're here at the Oxyoke Inn in the heart of Amana. The from the Hurtine and Stalker Studios in the heart of the Hawkeye Nation, this is the mighty 1630 KCJJ Iowa City. Hurtine and Stalker Jewelers, making memories, making moments. Hawkfanatic.com. This guy makes it all the way from California to Washington, D.C. without a license plate and swastikas on the car. Yeah. Okay, so finally somebody in D.C. says, this ain't right, this, uh, you know. <laughs> and the, the police chief goes, that's good, uh, that's good police work. 
<laughs> and now another U.S. Capitol Police arrest man with bayonet and machete near yeah. Democratic. We're talking about the same person, right? It's the same person. It's the same guy? Yeah. It's okay. the same guy. Hi, thanks for holding on. You're welcome. I didn't want to hear this. Have patience. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Pat, how was the temperature in the press box? Uh, it was warm. <laughs> Very warm. Very warm. It maybe wasn't quite as bad as I envisioned it, but it was still just unnecessarily warm. But no well, did, air conditioning. Did, did no. they have any fans They in had there? ceiling fans going, but I was down in the front row, and it was cooler. Oddly enough, it was cooler as you walked up the steps. The third level was much cooler than the front row. It was just, and it wasn't as much the, t- it was just the stickiness, just the no ventilation, just no, just nothing. It was just, ugh. And we parked an eighth of a mile from the stadium. We had to walk. An eighth yeah, but of a heat mile. is supposed to rise. I know, but they, the ceiling fans were up high, though, and you could feel the... the well, so they were pushing it down on top of you. Yeah, so it was just, it's just, it was just unpleasant. But we made it through, and if that's the worst thing now, i got to deal with... Now, when I was in Big Ten Network, mind. they were talking about that. They thought that Iowa's offense wasn't as good as people think it should have been because they were facing two really good defenses. Exactly. You That's know. part of it. Yeah. And, and I'd like to know, why does Daniels list his high school when they when they go along and they ask the players, you know, the players come out and say their name, and then the uh, um, uh, school they were with, James Daniels lists his high school. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I remember Iowa fans ripped him, and he said it was nothing personal. It's just, I don't know, maybe his high school just had, I mean, had a special place in his heart. I don't maybe know. Maybe he isn't happy with the. Uh, with Iowa, I don't know, but he always loses high school. Yeah, I, yep. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure why. It could just easily be for encouragement and to acknowledge the, well, the kids at the high school. I mean, I have some... several other people that do list their high school. Yeah, I mean. Okay, well, have a good day. It's supposed to be hot today too. Yeah, it'll be well, eighty-five. Not... I sat out at a, um, well, there was a soccer game yesterday and a field hockey game, and I tell you. At the field hockey, I could find some shade, but I had to use an umbrella at the soccer game. Oh, man. Well, you are a dedicated fan. I'm, and, and I'm getting old and too high and hot for this stuff. <laughs> well, you're hanging well, anyway, in there. You guys have a good day. You too. Thank you, Karen. Bye. Now, while we were on our little break there, Tori Taylor has been named co-special teams player of the week. Yeah, I'd like to know the what the hell team. the other player did yeah, no share kidding. it with him. What, do you mean, turn three kicks for touchdowns? <laughs> Tori Taylor's the reason Iowa won that game. Oh, my God, he was unbelievable. Yeah, and he was. Those were Reggie Roby punts. That one, that 69-yarder, it just kept going and going. I mean, eh, he's incredible. And now he can pooch the ball down into the 10-yard line. He is it. But we better enjoy him while he lasts because I doubt he's back. I, I would agree Why with would he that. be? He's 24 years old. I mean, it, barring injury, I don't, I don't know enough about punting to know for sure that his game transfers over to the NFL, but why wouldn't it? Well, I mean, punting, what's what's different between NFL and exactly. besides I, the speed of the players? The speed maybe. of the players and what have you, but I think when you've got his leg, and the other thing about him is he's so consistent. I've seen a lot of punters with big legs, and you know, two out of every four punts, they'll just knock it, but then they'll yep. have a punt where maybe it goes off the side of the foot. He rarely has those. And there's been no shanks. No shanks. He's just consistent, and he was the reason they won that game. Wow. I mean, and the defense fed off him. Field position and punting. Yeah. 
And to the people saying, well, the game's changed so much in 40 years. No, it really hasn't. And Kirk Ferentz did bring up 81 without being asked about it. So, yes, the game has changed. It's more spread. But if you can play great defense and win field position and win the turnover battle, I don't care if the other offense is – I don't care what kind of offense they're running. You're going to win the game. Yeah, that's right. Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, Even though Taylor's 24, can he go to the NFL if he's not a junior next year? Yeah, it's just it all depends on – you just got to be – you just got to be three years out of your high school graduation class. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. I mean, he was the difference. Uh, I just have an observation on uh, Patriots. It seems like he goes to the ground much more easily than Stanley did. It's like he's our, they hit him and he's down. Well, he's not as strong uh, and big as Nate. Exactly. Yeah, he's just not as thick. Nate was a big man. He was thick and strong. Yeah, I mean, there's sometimes he goes down with one arm hits him on uh, like a rollout to get after him or something. I just thought, I just noticed that. It seems like it goes down real easy, but uh, I think the receivers aren't always open for it either. They no, it, it's a team sport, but but no, that's a good observation, but they are different. I mean, Spencer's listed at 6'5", 233. Nate was 6'5". <laughs> what the hell was that? Nate... <laughs> That's who was what was that? Luke. That's like the devil. It's like the exorcist. Luke. Get out. No, and then Nate was listed at six four two forty one. Nate was just Nate was really big. He had a I mean, he just had a big torso. He was thick. He was just a he was built kinda of like a defensive end. And I think sometimes like that pass he threw against Ohio State with Hubbard yes. Spencer probably would have gone down. Spencer's just not as strong, doesn't have the leverage Nate did. Yeah, that's probably true. He's twenty five pounds lighter. You see Parker Hesse's listed as a tight end, a backup yep. tight yes. end for the yeah. Falcons. Made the roster, yep. That's a great it's amazing. Great story. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Well, wasn't he a quarterback in high school? Quarterback in high school, defensive end at Iowa, played yeah, <laughs> tight no, end in the pros. I still want to know what that sound was. That sounded like in the it was ex- a T-Rex. It sounded like in the Exorcist when they were telling no, maybe that was um the house. What was the haunted house one? You know the uh, Amityville you know, horror. Wasn't that where they told Rod Steiger to get hey, get the hell out of here? This is the devil's place. Yeah. And then the flies attacked him. Remember that? Yeah. Well, it sounds like KXIC. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Or this place before you renovated, right? God day. It wasn't good. But you had Podaski to protect you from the devil, didn't you? <laughs> now is our ghost still here after the renovations? I think he's over at Podaski's now. He moved. <laughs> he's walking around reading a book, <laughs> holding the book for Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's all in good fun. I can't even look at my cell phone for oh, two I seconds could, I when I walk no with, more. without getting dizzy. And Richard can read Mishner. I mean, just uh, I mean, it's just without without budging, without flinching. He does it. I don't know how he does it. I don't know. I don't it's know incredible. either. I'd get dizzy. I seriously would. Yeah, I'm reading all these accolades. This is stupid. The accolades about. The police work that they did pulling over a guy without a license and swastikas. Well, you asked me how he. Democratic, uh, you know, uh, building. Well, you asked me how he. You asked me how he made it across the country, Captain. I gave you my answer. Yeah, he's white. He's white. Yeah, driving while white. I mean, uh, and you're right. If he'd been black, he wouldn't have made it out of the county. He wouldn't. No, he wouldn't have. And just, but that's the world we live in. And I guess, I guess we're lucky because we're. Um, we're white, so well, don't that, take it. Don't take accolades. Well, I feel really comfortable that because it's great police work. You pulled over I a guy agree. without a license plate that has swastikas all over the car. I wonder what route he took. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Interstate eighty. 
Maybe. Probably. I mean, wouldn't is that? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. The, the best way to get from California to the nation's and, capital? And do you Certainly think he is. drove all the way or did he stop? Do you think he stopped in Johnson County? I think he would, might have been in Ames. <laughs> oh, by the way, did you see uh, what happened in Wisconsin? Well, no. No. Oh, God. They, uh, let me get the article up. They dumped, they, uh, well, let me get it. Yeah, but uh, but this narrative now that well Iowa hasn't played anyone good yet. Well, that, who says that? Just, well, I mean, I, jerk, I bet this jerk did on our. You know, he's. I guess he's a, a amazing coach or something. I, I, there's a mind. chance that those teams won't be as good as we thought. But well, if you sure. look at Iowa's schedule, <laughs> I mean, I still say Iowa State's going to end up being one of the better teams. Iowa's schedule is not murderer's row. That's why I give this team a chance to be. Really good. I had them winning nine games, but losing this one. So right now, with the rest of my picks, they're at worst ten and two. And so, using that same uh, statement, I have then have us at eleven and one. Yeah, my biggest concerns now would be Maryland and Penn State well, and Wisconsin and Wisconsin because it's Police there. Eject forty five, arrest thirty two during University of Wisconsin football. Did they game. just start selling beer there this year? Are they saying what's the- 30 citations for underage alcohol consumption, one for possession of alcohol, one was violating the university's code of theft. So was this out of the ordinary or did they just do a stronger surveillance and enforce it more? I it's, mean, I, what's the sounds new- like it's under uh, out what's of the, the o- news peg? Uh, 22 first aid calls during the game. So that's well. unusual for. Oh, because of the heat. I guess. It, yeah, it doesn't well, really. I, I guess imagine. I just don't know what the newspaper. It doesn't really say. It's just. Because uh, news is not really students getting arrested for drinking anymore no. in football games. That's why. Well, I, I mean, that's a large number. It's a yeah, large number. That, 32 is, But I wonder what if what caused that. that was they it, had to throw out 45. Were they enforcing things or did it turn into Altamont up there? I just wonder what was it. I, Altamont. You think oh, it was I that? Uh, it's the 32 citations under age. Alcohol, 45 ejections, 19 paramedic that calls. That seems very unusual. 22 first aid calls, four ambulance transports, three detox transports. God, it was worse than Altamont. Seven oh, contacts with point two uh, or higher. <laughs> wow. So I wonder that, what... I mean, that's a lot They of, obviously got trashed at a tailgate. And, <laughs> that's a lot of calls. Yes, yeah, it so is. That's, so that's the news peg. Even yeah. for a tailgate situation yeah. like it was kind of... That's out of the ordinary. Yeah. Yes. That many. But the reason I want to know is why. What happened? What was different? Hey, um, I, I think Wisconsin was a night game. Okay, that's part so of the answer. They had all day yes. to be knuckleheads. That's part of the... And it was hot as hell, too. It, yeah, and it was hot. And if you drank like you normally do, and you know they've... They've got, there's so many places around there that are not, you know, university-controlled tailgates. There are you know, houses yep. and alleys and stuff. So I, I think they just had Perfect all day storm. to get liquored up and go crazy. Yep. And they must have. Per, per, I, I think they did. Anyway, talk to you guys thanks. later. Thank you. Bye. That was perfect Plus, storm there was a high-speed chase. <laughs> Maybe it was that guy coming from California and he got away. <laughs> no. Okay, you asked what the other guy did to be a co-special team kicker. Yeah. he uh, It was Rutgers' Adam Corsack. He's really good. Both pinned five punts inside the 20 on Saturday. Both averaged over 51 yards. Okay, okay. And both had a 69-yarder, and both are from Melbourne, Australia. Wow, what a story. That guy's really good. I mean, I've seen him um, wow. keep Rutgers in games before yeah. just for this punting. Wow. That's, yeah, this Australian punter thing is really turning into a neat story. I think they're onto something. It's all over the place. I mean, it's, there's Australians kicking all. And I think guys like Tory Taylor are going to 
maybe motivate kids here. You can do a lot with just being a kicker if you get to be really oh, good absolutely. at it. Now, the other thing, Tory's a big kid. He's 6'3". He's got yeah. a lot of physical attributes, too. But, but man, he's, he's a fun story. Hello. I've been on the truck a lot, so I probably missed some, but I love our punter. That would... I mean... <laughs> so does everybody else, besides yeah. Iowa State fans. Well, okay. <laughs> it, uh, he, if he would have had that one ball just a little bit more to the left, it would have gone in the inside of the cone, and that'd been down at the one. So. Yeah, yeah. But no, he's something. And he can that can change the game. It's like, but on TV you really can't see what's going on. I wish our guys could get down there and catch the ball. But do they have a lot of resistance trying to get down there? Well, yeah, there's some, and it's pretty tough too. That ball's traveling at a pretty fast pace. I mean, and mm-hmm. it's it's just hard yeah. to be able to get yourself in position down there with all the stuff you have to go through. And that would take a ton of hang time. Yes, I was just going to say it's hang time, yep. Yeah, Reggie Roby put it in the clouds, and then you just had to wait through it to come back through the clouds. Now, I will say, Torrey had a couple Reggie Roby punts on Saturday. I mean, he really did. They they look like Reggie Roby. I can't hear it in the press box, but it had Reggie Roby written all over it. Great. Um, And did you talk about the crowd leaving early? No, we didn't. Uh, I, I mean, with 48 seconds to go, that game wasn't over especially with that onside kick that just about went wrong. You know, I don't know why they abandoned their team. I mean, unless it was real hot. But, man, they just emptied that stadium with five minutes to go, I think. Yeah. Yep. Well, they, well there you go. Yeah. I mean, that, the, backup, the backup quarterback did okay, but he did a lot of that against prevent defense and against Iowa backups. So exactly. I, but, yeah, I mean, the score was not as close as the – the game, the game was not near as close as the final score would indicate. And I think Iowa State fans were hot and pissed, and they left. The students were there two hours before it a, kickoff. It was a pleasure to watch. It yes, really, yes, it was. It was just a great day. And I liked us getting down by three to start with and then coming back and going, going up. So, sort of a complete blowout. Well, I didn't like being down by three, but, um, you know, that was the only time we trailed all day. <laughs> yeah. Have a good day, guys. Thanks. Yeah, it was. Uh, boy, the, the crowd was so into it. And uh, did you, Pat? Did you get a chance to see? I, I know you're not a big fan of it, but chance to see a replay of the game day uh, with Ashton and uh, Lee Corso. No, it was fun. Lee Corso dissed uh, the Cyclones. He said, I want to show you the Cyhawk trophy to the uh, Iowa State fans because you haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> I, I missed that. I, I regret to say I missed it. It was a diss. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. The, the, the Gutcher was fun with it. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? It's Kyle. Good. Hi, Good. Kyle. How's it going? It's Good. great. It's always great when it's a Hawkeye State. Uh, it it helps. <laughs> it does help. But Iowa State was they Purdy, I I think I told you guys last week, I said Purdy will he has a tendency to turn it over and boy it came true Saturday. He sure did. He really turned it over. He was not up to the task. No, I was I was kinda shocked that that uh that Campbell pulled him like with what, eight or nine minutes to go and Mm-hmm. Maybe longer, twelve minutes. And I was like, yeah. "Wow, he's a senior, and you're just going to pull him and basically say, well, that that's it, <laughs> we're done.'" I was kind of shocked about that. I figured he would at least let him, you know, play out the game since he was a senior. But 
maybe he was afraid of, you know, they didn't want to get him hurt for the rest of the, you know, for the, the for conference play. But that was kind of a tough one to figure out. Did he say anything, Pat, in the post game why he did it? Oh yeah, I mean, he he said he thought he just needed to get him out so he could kind of gather himself, but it just made it look like he was blaming him for the loss, and I didn't think it was a good move. Coach Patterson didn't think it was a good uh-uh. move, and it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. I, I, I missed the first 10 minutes of the show today, but I caught the rest of Coach Patterson, and of course, you guys, it's an awesome show as always, and yeah, I agree. I think Wisconsin is probably, Wisconsin and Maryland worry me the most. Um, Wisconsin. And Penn State. Penn State got, worries me. Yeah, Penn State, yep, because they have that new... But, I mean, they're playing the air raid, and one thing that makes me feel at least good about that is Iowa's always defended that offense fairly well, the air raid. They have always done fairly well against that offense. So, I'm hoping it'll be a better – Minus be really Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Yeah, they had yeah. that. They didn't, they didn't fare very well. Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley. So, but, but, yeah, no, Maryland well, yeah, is the one – didn't run. they didn't run the air raid then. They ran a different offense. Now they run the Mike Leach offense at Penn State. So it's it's a different offense than they ran with with Barkley. Well, they do that whole five wide thing now. It's yeah, it's but they can adjust. They, they'll adjust. Wide. They'll adjust to personnel. I wouldn't read. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't read into it just after two games. They they can do more than just what you've seen. I they've got a really oh, good no, receiver. Yeah, they got a good receiver, but we'll see. I mean, that Penn State's way down the road, so we'll worry about that when it when it comes up. You know, Wisconsin, they're doing, they're being Wisconsin, you know, like they're, I was looking at some stats this morning because a guy was asking me and, and uh, we were texting back and forth and I said, well, Wisconsin's ranked sixth in overall defense in the country and they've only given up 180 yards a game and they, 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 they are number one in the country in, in uh, time of possession at 41 minutes a game. I still, that's. And they got a running back that's already over 600. It's almost 600 yards he has already in two games. And I'm like, God, Wisconsin just never seems to go away. They just do the same thing all the time. Well, they did lose a game. They did. I And they lost that because I think they turned it over three times in the red zone against Penn State. Well. I think, yep, that was part of We're going to have to have that kind of luck against them, I think. That's not luck. God. You force turnovers, too, though. That's that's part of losing. Oh, wow, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Iowa didn't yeah. luck into forcing turnovers against Iowa State. Nope. So, no. And sometimes that's... the other team doesn't execute. I mean, the one interception, Purdy, went right through the guy's hands. So. Oh, yeah. They, so. We, were, we, were, uh, we were talking on Saturday, and the guy was saying, well, you know, this Iowa, they don't get any sacks. And I said, it doesn't, sacks doesn't matter. I go, sacks is a, is a, is a fan stat. But I said they are constantly, I said the, the quarterbacks they've played so far have been under duress the entire time. They're never comfortable in the pocket. And I think that's just as important, that's more important than getting a sack. Well, sacks are important too. I mean, they're, they're game changers. Oh, yeah, they are. They're momentum I mean, changers. I, think the, I just think Iowa's defensive front's doing a great job with, you know, at least applying pressure all the, you know, pretty consistent pressure all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You guys are awesome as always. It's nice to talk to you on a Monday before I go to work at two o'clock today. So, well, you keep uh, keep getting keep her done there, buddy. Me. Oh yeah, we will. Hey, thanks, guys. Great show as always. All Thank right. You. Thank you, Kyle. Get those uh, vaccines into the arms, buddy. Well, that's right. He's the pharmacist. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. 
Absolutely. I'm There's trying to more see people it. getting vaccines, so. Well, There's good. what? More people are getting them. What, in Iowa or na- nationwide? Nationwide. Well, well, they should be. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just saw Where, some. I just saw another anti-vaxxer. Some woman died. She was. I saw her trending on Twitter. Well, and there's more. Another disc jockey, and it just. And another I, disc and jockey I kinda, died. Yeah, and I kind of chuckle, but you know something, I really, yeah, anti-vaxxer got on the air. Goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. I. I what are you? Let's just. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, this one, the, the the woman that died, I can't remember her name. She was on Twitter, but I guess they were upset at the hospital and people were threat, making threats because they wouldn't treat her with ivermectin. They kept saying that would save her. Well, and they, then they went to court over, you know, giving some guy ivermectin and, and the hospital wouldn't do it. It doesn't, yeah, it's, Jesus Christ. It's so ridiculous. I mean, but the problem is, isn't that Joe Rogan guy saying that Ivermectin cured him in yeah, three well, days? It didn't. It didn't cure him. That's what he's saying, though. Well, he's a liar. He's just but a the, freaking liar. I know. The problem is that we don't have a way to prove it. Yeah, we don't have a way to prove it. We so don't he, even I'll, have a way to prove that he had it. So all the people now believe that Ivermectin yeah. cured him in three days. Well, and, these people that then, you know, really will end up going to hell. I, if there is a hell, they should go to it because... These guys with this with this big amplifier, uh, you know, are telling, are persuading people to sign their death warrant, basically, and it's just a, stupid. It's it is. It really ridiculous. is. Hello. Hey, good morning. Uh, good shows always. Thank you. I, I have a qu- I have a question about uniforms, and especially <laughs> in the seat. I don't know how they played the game. In the heat, I mean, it was just oppressive heat. But here's the deal: Wisconsin comes out, and they're all in white, and it was really, really hot in Lincoln. If if you want, if you're the home team, and you want to, it's a hot day, and you want to go to a white uniform or something. How much notice do you have to give the opposing team in order to do that? Uh, Good I, question. I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Okay. Good I, question. I, I mean, and. And, and I kind of laughed when I found out, and it was earlier in the week, that Iowa State was, it, we already knew it was going to be a hot day, and they had chosen black jerseys. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, white versus black on a really, really hot day, I think, makes some difference. Maybe well, it doesn't. It could. It may have. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Can't quantify. Yeah, but it was, it was funny to see Nebraska at home. All white uniforms, white tops, white pants, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they still, in Buffalo had some sort of blue outfit. Hey, I got a question about the offense. And after watching these first two games, do you, do you think it's reasonable to hope at least that not only Spencer, but the whole offensive unit is going to get, they have room to improve, obviously. <laughs> Do you guys think that they are going to improve during the season? I don't think they're going to get worse. Yeah, I don't think they'll get worse. I think there's always the probability that they will improve the more they do stuff. And I do think the competition will allow them to improve. The next two games, the competition should allow them to improve. Now, Kent State does have a knack for turnovers, so Spencer's got to be careful. 
I mean, he, he throws two or three interceptions in the first half. That's how you then look it's up anybody's and, game. Then it's anybody's game. He's going to have to be careful. But if, if they can't run the ball in these next two games, then I'm concerned. Then I, I will also say that throughout this season, the, the offense is going to be the weakest link. Oh, without question. But I think we kind of knew that coming it, in. We, we did. Um, um, I, I get too caught up in the game to pay attention. Did, did they substitute on the offensive line during the game at all? Um, not, or did they stick with the Who, Iowa? Starters? Not a lot. Not a lot. Not we like did they do on, on the defense. defense. On the defensive line, yeah, they rotate. Not hey, as yeah. much Not as much on the offensive line. I like line. that they're doing that. Now, the question um, – go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say the question will be when they get Kyler shot back, has Britt earned enough trust in the coaches to where they may do a rotation I would think with so. some guys? I think that will happen. So you're saying that you think the starting guards will be shot and Justin Britt? No, I'm saying then, that – the starting guards will be shot and ints, but maybe Britt has played oh. well enough to where he's going to keep playing and where they can maybe rotate some guys. I would think and so. And build some depth. Yep. That's what I'm saying. I assume okay. shot when he gets back, I assume, will be the starter. If again. he it gets up to speed in a hurry. And I mean, yeah, I don't, I mean, physically, this, but mentally, it's he's, he's up to speed. I yeah. mean, he's been in the program for four or five. But the other thing is maybe, I don't know, maybe who's playing better between Britt and Ince? Maybe Britt's playing better than Ince to where they may move Britt over to get the two best guys in there. What I'm saying is they're going to have three experienced guys at the guard position that they can fall yep. back on. Um, one other question. I know that the answer is going to be we, aren't, we don't see the practice. But, and, you, Pat, you always say this before the season starts. We had two freshmen wide receivers. They got a lot of hype. And one was even listed as the third receiver. And then we see in the game that Charlie Jones starts. Nico Rodini hasn't played much, or he played, but not like he did last year. And then they bring in number 29, who I think a lot of us are going, who's this guy? Ritter. Could you comment on that a little bit? And I'll hang up and listen. Well, I think a lot of that is just the media creating hype when maybe it's not there. I mean... We're so always intrigued by the next star, the newcomer, the new faces. I think maybe we blew the Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce stuff way out of proportion. They're on the depth chart, but I've never really... And they've played. They do play. They play some. They're not playing a lot. I don't recall them ever saying that what either one of those freshmen was their number three receiver. No. They never said that. But with all the stuff we write about, I mean, there's there's people are in love with Keegan Johnson, recruiting people. I think Bruce had nine snaps, and I think Johnson had six. But the way I don't think – I think fans thought from all the stuff that they're reading – that these guys were going to come in and just be major. I never thought that. That's why I don't write a lot about that stuff. I just don't get too much into the hype because it doesn't ever seem to materialize. But Charlie Jones was always, I thought, going to be one of their receivers. I think Charlie Jones has maybe moved ahead of Regani a little bit. I think he has. more of a playmaker. He's just better in open field. He's just more of a playmaker. But to me right now, none of the receivers are really no. They, I mean, I'm, I'm Tyrone Tracy really still has hasn't really very disappointing. Yeah, and but I don't know if, I don't know if it's necessarily his fault, but he's not getting open, or if they're just not seeing him. But I think Spencer is so locked into his tight ends, and I think right now Spencer's a little worried about the pass rush too. I think he's getting a little yeah pocket paranoid back there and i think it takes longer for the receiver routes to develop he's not waiting for those and then he's not seeing them when they break open but no the keegan johnson arlen bruce they're playing like tom said they're in there they're just not maybe living up to the expectations that fans have after reading all the hype but trust me a lot of that is just hype and with there's so much recruiting writing now tom you know that the new guys when they come in they have so much hype surrounding their arrival that 
I think we kind of lose perspective on where things are. That's just my exactly. take. On it. Exactly. That's my take. There are so many people that do recruiting now and they write about recruits and commits and the newcomers and the new faces and trying to anoint that next star. And Keegan Johnson got a lot of that. And that's not his fault. No. But there was a lot of that going on in spring and this preseason. And I remember, remember Jay Shield? Yeah. He Just, never, never panned out. Oliver Martin. I mean, Oliver Martin, people were saying it was a season changer. And I just remember thinking, ah, that's a little bit premature. I know you're trying to get likes and, you, you know, clicks on Twitter and your story and whatever. But, man, to say stuff like that, that's a lot of pressure. And I will say Brian Ferentz did play along with the Oliver Martin. They Iowa did have some quotes, I thought, uncharacteristic that kind of fueled that hype. But I just think sometimes we read too much into the hype and – that's not Kirk Ferentz saying that stuff. I mean, he. I don't remember Kirk ever saying, well, Keegan's our number three receiver now. I never recall uh-uh. that. No, but uh, Oliver Martin will be a trivia question one day, of being who is the only uh, football player in Big Ten history to score a touchdown for three different Big Ten teams. So do we know that it's just him? Or are we just it has assuming? to be. I don't, well, know I, that. Mean, I, I don't know if it has to be, but I mean, it could have happened, but I don't know. Uh, my guess is it probably happened, but I couldn't say that with certainty. So I don't. I mean, I don't know that anyone's ever played for three. Well, I, I'm just saying we don't know. No, we don't. Know I'm just for saying sure. we. But we can't present it as fact. Is what, no. The moment you do something like that, then that's a lot of football has been played since 1889. This is true. And there was a lot of rules that I mean during World War II and so I mean just I don't know. I my guess is he's a handful. If there are more than one, that's probably not many. But like I said, I don't know if you can prove that. Well, I mean, people are saying that Alaric Jackson's the only four-year starting left tackle. At Iowa, I can come close to proving that, but you don't know for sure. I, I the one know. area that makes it easier is because there were years where you, you couldn't play four years. That's there was a lot also. of years. Yeah. But I think he's a good answer to a trivia question, too. So those are those would be two good trivia questions because, I, I mean, Robert Gallery didn't start at left tackle for four years at Iowa. Only Alaric Jackson did. That's, that's and he made the roster, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, that does not surprise me. I thought, I thought he would. Makai um, Sargent making a roster surprised me a little bit. But more power to him. Good for him. And I thought he was a good football player at Iowa. He did everything well. He could catch. He could block. He did fumble at times. But yeah, he was we, just – We miss him. Yeah. I mean, we do. They do. But I still think Ivory Kelly Martin can be as effective. I, I really do. I think in some ways he can be even maybe more effective. And I don't know if you necessarily need three running backs because you're not going to – three running backs just aren't going to play. It's just too hard to get a rhythm. But two, I think they can make it work. And I do like the way they're – using Ivory Kelly Martin. He is a factor. And I do think Tyler Goodson at times needs a spell. It'd be nice if they could get them in the same backfield at times and maybe throw some screen passes, have them in a split T formation. Maybe we'll see that as the season progresses. Well, that's one cool thing about the Wildcat. You can have that. Uh, but so yeah, far, the Wildcat, Tyler I, hasn't hasn't well, ended the ball off. But when he's the only one in the backfield, I mean, you know, what's he, you know he's going to run. I thought some of their Wildcat calls have been – Kind of weak. I, I, I agree. I'm not a big fan of the Wildcat anyway. But, no, they got to get this offense fixed. If not, they're going to end up losing a game they shouldn't lose. Yeah, that's for sure. They should not lose. And that, But the offense has issues. They really do. They, And, it's to me, it still starts with the inability to consistently run the football. They just can't do it right now. I mean, they're no just – No argument from me. And I just worry against a Penn State, a Wisconsin, a Maryland. If Maryland's scoring – if Maryland just has one of those days where it's hitting on big plays and – Iowa can't run the ball. That means Iowa has to try to match Maryland big plays. And Dude, I, we're not that kind of team. I don't think they can do that. No. 
So we'll see. I mean, like I said, though, but to me, I never thought they would be 2-0. I gave them like a 5% chance to be 2-0 at this stage. But they're 2-0 and just embrace it. Enjoy it. And ranked number five, which is hard to believe. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and I, that's, I know I've said, I'm not a big rankings guy. I mean, I know, that's I all, that is just media reporting on the media. But it means something to a lot of people, so it matters. I get it. Well, I'm just going to completely avoid uh, social media. Why? Uh, during because the minute the damn game was over, instead of you know people who supposedly are fans, uh, you know they just turn negative and yeah. But you must look for it because ninety nine percent of the fallout from the game well, I saw was I, all positive. I got yeah. it. I got it on on our Facebook page. I yeah, I can't imagine it. I bet the majority though was happy. I didn't well, see I hardly think, any yes, complaints. You're right, but I, I didn't mean, see hardly any. Complaint. It just no. I just want to ban everybody. And well, do I, and I do should. it. Well, I shouldn't ban everybody. Why? <laughs> but you had a bunch of people going to your Facebook bitching about a win at Iowa State. Yeah. I mean, are you exaggerating a little bit? No, I'm no. You must be the I only took, person in the world took, that gets that because I don't I know. Took it, I took it off. I took a lot off. I didn't take everything off. I didn't see one person bitching. Uh, I oh, I did. The, uh, yeah. I didn't see any. Yeah. I didn't have anyone. I did have a one guy bitch at me about the 81 comparison because he says football's changed too much. And then I, I, I should, I'll let Kirk know that tomorrow too. I'll tell that. Yeah. Oh, hey, guy on Twitter told me, Kirk, you out. can't make that comparison. It's football's way different than it was uh, in 1981. started it off with we played uh, two FC teams. Don't. And it was about your article. I posted your article. And he says we played. Who said that? This uh, Joe. Uh, Urchin or something. I assume you bounced Davenport. Him. No, I didn't pounce him. You just want me to just throw get off. Get him out. I throw off all the Trump. Yeah, get him out. I do I think throw maybe, off all the anti-vax. I do think Indiana is maybe not as good as we thought. No, Iowa State. I think they're good. the Big Twelve's not very good. I'll be surprised if Iowa State still doesn't win nine games at least. Oh, I agree. But you know they still have to do it. I mean they didn't look very good against you and I, but Indiana. I don't know. We'll see. Well, they've got a maybe they've got a lot of the pressure off their backs now, and lost to Iowa. They don't have to worry about that. And you know they got some winnable winnable games ahead of them. But there's probably a game we're looking at in the schedule where Iowa's going to lose that they shouldn't lose. It happens every year. Yeah, probably every year it seems to happen with Iowa. Even eleven the eleven and two year when they lost to Iowa State, that Iowa State team ended up with seven and six. They had no business losing that game at home. Now Seneca Wallace was incredible. But that just seems like that's the earmark for Iowa football. There's one game on this. And to me, my worry is that it's Maryland. Well, I hope not because I'm going to be there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm pretty much not. I'm pretty sure I'm not going now that we well, know you that. You also went to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I think it was ESPN has Iowa going to the Rose Bowl playing UCLA. Okay. But now that they're not doing in-persons on the road, the Maryland one on a Friday night, I just, I, I'm not sure if I'm gonna are justify you, going to justify going. Are you going to the Rose Bowl? If we go to the Rose Bowl, I will. We haven't talked about it. You'd go again? Probably. You're like a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Well, it's just. Well, what are these days? I want a better Rose Bowl experience. I don't want to hate that game. You know, I don't want to hate that stadium, and I do. So I I would like to get that taste out of my mouth. You know, losing a game is one thing, but not showing up is entirely enough. Oh, they showed up. They just played like crap. Yes, they did. And Stanford was a better team. Much. Quicker, just much faster, and Christian McCaffrey's went on to be a very good back in the NFL. So but it was we hardly had a, no answer for him. It was hardly a fluke. CJ didn't play very well. No. no, it was just not a not a good experience. No, it was not. So, but yeah, I mean, I love how they're starting to do bowl projections already. I mean, yeah. just, 
So do you, so you don't think I should get my Pasadena uh, room reservations yet? You can do whatever you want. My, are you? Will you go to any bowl they go to this year? I, no, I haven't been to a bowl since uh, since the Rose Bowl. Yeah, they're expensive. No, I don't. No, not necessarily. Um, I, I I think our year's going to be too good to go to the Music City Bowl. I would love to go to that. Yeah, if they're at the Music City Bowl, then it's not going to be a lot of. Then happy the wheels campers. have fallen out. Yes. Yeah. Because that would be a seven and five, six and seven and five type situation. Yeah. I think gets them to the Music City Bowl, but. Yeah, let's at least let's at least get through week three before we start doing bowl projections. <laughs> Hello, I do have Iowa ranked number one in my power rankings this week. You have to. I in mean, the Big I don't, Ten, I, I yeah. don't know how you can't. No, right now I don't think they're better than Ohio State, but that's not what power rankings are. Power rankings. Tom, yes. You went to the Outback Bowl right after my knee surgery. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, they I guess we did. Me eight weeks out of knee surgery, and we hauled me on that oh, charter. That's right. And- <laughs> that's right. Ran me around. I had I had to borrow a foldable cane. It was uh, a great trip. I remember now. And okay, what, and it was fun. It was it beautiful was. weather. It was awesome. Is that the one they lost thirty to three? No. No. <laughs> what, oh, you're talking about Mississippi? Mississippi you State. Go Mississippi State. Straight for the worst experience. Well, that was the, I forgot about the Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah Mississippi State. The, game. Outback Bowl was 2016 when they lost thirty to three, right? Yeah, and we ran into was it Parker Hesse's family doing yes. a saw saw on the street corner? Yes. Yes. Perry, uh huh. It was fun. Okay. Yeah, that's I'll right. See you guys later. Okay. Bye. I hope they don't go to. I don't want to do another Outback Bowl. God. I did ban the guy that said we're advocating violence when I posted the Husasa on the page. Oh my God. Seriously. Why is Seriously? that? Why is that advocating violence? Because you say hit him in the head with the oh. Husasa. Yeah. 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 Jesus. He did. <laughs> I bounced him. Oh, he should be jailed. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Pat. Hey, what? <laughs> you were talking about bowls. Ashley Henson's favorite bowl is the Unlimited Pasta Bowl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's back, huh? He's... <laughs> so he's back. <laughs> Where do they have an un? Do they do an Unlimited Pasta Bowl at Olive Garden? They do. Yeah. Uh, like every day? Or is it like... I, it's, I, I think it's so. Like it's, so what would they do if somebody literally went in there with the appetite and literally had like 15 bowls? Do you would, understand... Would they ever stop you? That they fired the board of directors and the president of Red Lobster because they did the unlimited all-you-can-eat crab. And people were eating Mondays. them out of... They were... They, well, crab's uh, expensive. Yeah. And they had all-you-can-eat crab legs. And... <laughs> and For it, how much? Like it, 80 well, it bucks? almost bankrupt the damn... Uh, what were they? What was it? What were they charging? Pe- the like twenty something. Yeah, you're gonna lose money on that because you can if you're like. Yeah, they they did. They almost bankrupted the. I mean, company. crab's not as filling as pasta either, too, is it? You can eat no, a lot of crab. Oh, you can eat a yeah. lot of crab. Whereas pasta, yeah. after a while, it's like I drinking. Can't, pasta's kind of like drinking deer. Yeah, you get bloated. Managers were saying people were literally coming in there and staying for four or five hours at a time. Honest to God. God, it I could not imagine eating that much them. crab. Yeah. But, well, all um, you can eat crab is one bite for me. Well, I love crab legs, but I can't eat that, you know. That all-you-can-eat pasta from Olive Garden doesn't sound bad. Well, and then they have their uh, soup and salad thing at I love lunch, their salad. which yes. is just all-you-can-eat and it's got the garlic bread. Every time, I drive by, every time I drive by that thing out there, it's just always packed. Just seems like there's the f- and they always find people to work. I mean, there's a lot of people working there, and you know, I went to we were in the Quad Cities uh, to have dinner with the kids last week, 
And I wanted to stop at Whitey's. I hadn't had uh, a root beer shake from Whitey's in a long time. And it it was, I mean, they had like 10, 11 kids behind there. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some places that are paying a little better finding people. Whose phone's that? It must mine. be Steve's. Why don't you guys mine. turn your ringers off when we're on the air? Well, number one, don't know how. It's just right on the side. You just put, <laughs> There's this little button you just push down on the no, side. Oh, you got that because you've got a iPhone 10. Uh, yeah, you got an iPhone and I've got an Android. Yeah. I can't imagine it's complicated. Well, it must be complicated enough where we don't want to deal. <laughs> yeah, I might get an important call. There you go. You know, maybe it Jan, happens. Jan wants to know what I want to have for lunch. Yeah, or, she might. Yeah. Right, where are you guys going for lunch? We like to go. I think we're just eating at home. You today. and Suter don't go out for lunch like you used to. Is well, it COVID? We've been averaging, yeah. Yeah. And I've been trying to lose calories, some calories. Is it working? A little. Without I, exercising, or do you exercise? Oh, I don't exercise. I walk the dog. So a, a little. It's hard to lose weight without exercising at our age. Oh, it is. Newsflash. It is. Trust me. How, how many hours a day does it take you to walk six miles? An hour and 20 minutes. I average, hour around, 20. I average around four miles per hour, which doesn't sound fast, but it's it's pretty good pace. Between 3.7 and 4.1 is usually what I average, and I go between five and a half and six miles. And it does. It takes a good hour and 15 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes. I got a lot of steps in the house, and I go from the TV to the pantry. Yeah. Get some snacks. Back to the TV. Back to the TV. Well, here, I'll look up. Um, let me look up. Um, a lot of it depends not necessarily how far you go to, but how fast you walk. That's yeah. That's that's a, um, let's see, like today I've walked 0.14 miles. Yesterday I did 5.6 Day before I did 1.6, that was walking to and from parking at the Iowa State game. Mm-hmm. And then the day before that, 5.2, 6.5. Okay, how much 6. weight 3. did you lose in the press box? Um, I probably sweat off a few, maybe three or four pounds of water. I did eat it. They did have these little mini hamburgers that actually the hamburgers themselves Yum. were really yummy. They were good. But then they had salad and pot, and it just it was just too hot. I did eat a couple of the hamburgers, but we were starving on the way home, and we were... We were driving, and we went into Ankeny. We pulled into Ankeny. We were going to go to, I believe it was a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and there had to have been 30 cars in the drive-thru. Oh, my God. And I'm like, who waits anywhere? I mean, that I'm amazed. Like, when I see the line at Starbucks, 17 deep. I know. Isn't that just who crazy? Who does that? I mean, I don't... I. Am I the weird one here, or is it not unusual to wait to be 17 deep in a Starbucks line for a cup of coffee? Oh, I wouldn't do that. Dunkin' Donuts throughout in the street? It's ridiculous. Explain that to me, Captain. You're the man of the community. Oh, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, Uh I I won't do it. I don't get it. Um, If the line's that long, I'm not. We finally found a McDonald's. not doing it. We finally found a McDonald's in Altoona that we could go to where we could go in and get our food. And because we there's five of us in a car, it's hard to do drive through when you're out and no, everyone is. everyone else is paying for their own meal. But it was hard to find anywhere to eat because places were either closed or that you couldn't go in, or it was just so crowded. With even the McDonald's and Ankeny had a lot of the crowd from the football game because mm-hmm. it's in between. And the, the the McDonald's was fifteen twenty deep. Wow! And I'm just amazed that people wait for that stuff. The Starbucks one though over there by. On Highway 6, though? It's astounding. It's a, it is. It's a sta- I did. I counted 17 cars one day that were waiting for coffee. 
An expensive coffee. What do they put crack in it or what is it? And I don't it's know. It's not that it good. Is, it, no, it re- seriously, it's not as good as McDonald's coffee. It, I, you know, any their coffee drinks at McDonald's, they're good. They're so annoying though for the drive-through. I had a experience. Yeah. I could not figure out what was taking this car in front of me so long. And sure enough, it was four of those frappy. Oh, frappes. frappes. And it must just take oh, the staff great. forever. Puke. It, it was just ridiculous that they slowed the line down that those much. Those are great. What do you mean, puke? Losers. Have me. you ever had one? You no. never even had one. tasted them. No, I wouldn't yeah. do it for the other customers because it's oh, selfish nasty. to take that much time. Oh, I'll do it every well, time. I don't like that. Wait your turn, Hardy. I don't like those super-ass <laughs> sweet drinks. Oh, I don't either. I just don't like That's them. the other thing. You go to Panera. You'll be in line. You could be too deep in line. I want a bowl of soup that takes the person in front of you. Yeah, I need three. And then the person doing the taking your order has to go and get the blender and make three different. And it, sometimes it'll take 10, 15, yeah. 10 minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but it's a long time when you're sitting there. I've, yes, never, had to, I've never had to wait when I order a frappe. I just, they get it out right away. Well, I mean, not for me. Well, at, you don't go to Panera, though. No. Go, go order one of those things at Panera, and it just brings the line to a screeching <laughs> halt because they're always understaffed. And I get it. You're trying to limit your payroll expense, but it's tough because then you got to wash the blender out after each one and start over, and it's just, uh The other day, yeah. I just said, oh, I heard the lady order four different. The, I left. I'm like, it's not worth it because there's nothing they can do. they got to make them. I mean, no. and you can't just zip them up like that. I used to... I was a bartender for a time and have to make the ice cream drinks. I did that all. Oh, my God. I worked at Spaghetti Works, one of our most famous. Our drinks were Bahama Mamas, but then we also made a ton of, like, can I get a strawberry banana daiquiri? So you had to get a scoop of strawberry, scoop of banana, the rum, the the booze, the specific amount of ice and whatever, then blend it and then put in it. There would be times where somebody would say, yeah, I need five banana strawberry daiquiris. I'm just. You just want to slit your wrist. I hated (laughs) it. I hated bartending. I was I'd, mean. I was just nasty. I, I, nothing pissed me off more than the waiters and waitresses who bitched and whined during their shift about how they wanted to get out of there. And then they get off work, and what do they do? They come into the bar and keep me open for another. But then there were times where I was so mean to them, they would leave. Yeah, I need three golden Cadillacs, two grasshoppers, and a Singapore sling. Yeah. Oh, we saw a ton of Singapore slings. Okay, well... We're going to leave this discussion. <laughs> Those are wussy we're, drinks, Captain. Stop yes, drinking they it. Are. Another day, I'm a pussy. You are. <laughs> you yes, they are. Drink your frappe and listen to Break My Stride. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Coach Don Patterson for joining us as usual.